Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard podcast. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, we've got a lot to talk about. But like, we were supposed to start this podcast almost an hour ago. It just so happened that... Uh, I, I came home a little bit late, and timing truly is everything, because on that 8 o'clock hour, Odell Beckham Jr. was traded to the Cleveland Browns, so patience is a virtue, and I guess in a way you were rewarded, not maybe with liking this trade, but with at least getting a big-time story trade to kick off our podcast. Uh, so the, if I want to get this right... Odell Beckham Jr. is being traded to, from the New York Giants to the Cleveland Browns. In return, the Giants are going to receive Cleveland's first round draft pick, a third round draft pick, and Jabari uh, Pepper, as he was a first round pick from uh, Michigan, I think, the safety. And that was, I think, two years ago when the Cleveland Browns had three first round picks in that year. So. I mean, this is a huge trade to start. There's been a lot of trades. We also got Antonio Brown. Uh, your thoughts first on this momentum trade? Well, I mean, it's certainly shocking. I mean, it's it's kind of weird. You know, it shouldn't be shocking because you heard the rumors early last year um, about what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to trade Odell? And then you, they gave him this extension, which you thought maybe would stall the trade talks at least for a little bit. Because, you know, why sign the guy if you're going to trade him? Then you're hearing rumors that the Patriots want Odell um, and that his name is being resurfaced. And then a couple of weeks ago, you know, general manager Gettleman, you know, he said we didn't sign Odell to trade him. But yet Odell is gone. So I will say it is shocking, even though his name has been thrown around quite a few times for the past couple of weeks. Um just because of you know we're being told, hey, we're not going to trade him, we're not going to trade him, and I understand that you're not supposed to, you know, trust everything you hear, especially around this time in the off season when anything can happen, and really anything. Um, but it certainly is shocking when a team trades their franchise player away. Um, you know, even if ignoring what they got back for a second, uh, it's just very shocking. You know, you trade away a fan favorite, you trade away a key piece of the team. And, you know, when you make moves like these, you send messages to the fan base. And I think the Giants sent a big message to the fan base letting us know, hey, I don't think we're going to try and go for it next year. We might have to tear this thing down and start all over, especially if you're trading away a young piece like Odell Beckham Jr. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to take away from this trade. And first thing I'm trying to do is go into, like, you know, the Matrefs. So the Giants think what they have the sits pick um no they have the, the third pick of the draft right no the giants have the sixth pick overall no it's the jets no the jets have the third pick you're you're confusing them flip uh, it i think you're flipped uh we're gonna find this out in a moment we're we're still looking this one up um but you trade for a first round pick 
And the Giants really have question marks on will they go for a quarterback this seat, uh, in the draft. Now, one of the biggest needs is going to be wide receiver, of course, because you're trading away Odell Beckham Jr. in the hopes to what? Find a replacement in Odell Beckham Jr. And this just doesn't work out in the end because, like, all right, you you trade for the first round and you're hoping for a wide receiver, or you trade in for the first round and you're hoping for a quarterback. You said it, it's it's a big rebuild, but it's also a bit like scapegoat in a way for rebuilding when you trade the star to begin with for a new GM, a new head coach, their second year going in and they're trading away the star wide receiver. It, I, it does not send the right message at all to the fan base. I mean, how, how can you sell this to the fan base where we're going to improve with trading one of the three, one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL? I, the only the only thing that gives me any self-confidence in this is when's the last time a bid star wide receiver won a Super Bowl? And when you go back, your top pits are Julian Edelman, Placido Burris, and Heinz Ward. Those are the three best, I think, wide receivers to win a Super Bowl since like 2006. So there's nothing that speaks out to you on that standpoint. That teams don't necessarily need the star wide receiver to get it done in the Super Bowl. But for the Giants, you look at it and say they were thinking all offense last season. Saquon Barkley, the entire thought was, okay, Eli Mann just needs a running back. He has all the other pieces, and the offense still wasn't there. Now the offense isn't going to get even better without Odell Beckham. Uh, for the Browns, though, I mean, Jose, is this one of the powerhouse teams in the NFL now? Well, I mean, it's hard to say that, right? Especially when it's the Cleveland Browns. You know, this is a team that's notorious, um, you know, for messing things up. But give them credit. You know, they've done their due diligence. They've been patient. Um, there's been plenty of draft picks that have been a miss. Uh, but it looks like they've got their QB in Baker Mayfield. He's a guy who's very cool, calm, collective very cocky and I feel like his attitude fits the Browns right now we talked we talked about that plenty of times um, they picked up Jarvis Landry uh, from the Dolphins not too long ago um, he's a great wide receiver uh, and then now they pick up Odell Beckham I mean Baker Mayfield to me I told you last year when we were talking about the best draft and the QBs in the draft was that Baker Mayfield is not going to win you games on his talent he can win you games he can basically revitalize this franchise because of his attitude. But if you give this guy receivers and options, I think now you're talking about him possibly being a very, very good QB. So what do they do? They give him Landry. Nick Chubb is a really, really good running back. We saw that last year. I think he's going to be phenomenal too. Now you give him a dynamic weapon like Odell Beckham. I'm sorry, but if you're Baker Mayfield and you have Landry on one side and Odell on the other, a little LSU reunion here, if you can't get it done with those two wide receivers, then I don't think you're just you're not a good QB. But I think the Browns are going to be fantastic on offense next year. And don't sleep on what the Browns did yesterday with the Giants or the day before when they traded for Olivier Vernon. That sounds like it was just a throwaway trade. The Giants just tossed him to the side to get rid of his contract. They picked up an offensive lineman in the process. Good for them. But if you're Cleveland, you have a defensive line now that has Miles Garrett on one side and Olivier Vernon on the other. 
I'm sorry, but if I'm an opposing QB, I don't want either one of those guys coming down, crashing down on me in the pocket. So give a lot of credit to the Browns. They had a really good year last year, caught a lot of people by surprise. Not me, I might add. Yes, they didn't make the playoffs like I predicted they would, but they caught a lot of people by surprise. And instead of just saying, you know what, that was a great year, let's do it again, they're building on it. They're adding pieces. They know that the time now is to strike right now. Why? The Ravens are going through a QB transition. A lot of team, a lot of players left in free agency from the Ravens' defense. Terrell Suggs left. If Terrell Suggs is leaving the Ravens, I don't know. I think something's wrong there. They also released Eric Weddle, who went to a new team now. The, you know, the Jets just picked up the linebacker from from the Ravens as well, too. So the Ravens are a little bit... Yeah, C.J. Mosley. You know, the Bengals are a little bit of an influx mode, too. And for the Steelers, they had Kardashian drama all year long. They traded away Antonio Brown. So there's going to be a lot of questions about where do they go from there. Um, Is James Conner going to be healthy? Can Juju take on the load of being the primary receiver? And also, you know, how much does Big Ben still have left in the tank? Because it wasn't like he was fantastic last season either. So if you're the Browns, you're looking at the division, you're saying, hey... We can actually win the division, possibly. If we would have won a couple more games last year, you know, practically two, we would have probably been in the mix to win the division. And I think you got to give Browns enough credit saying, hey, we're close. Now is the time to strike. Our division is not as strong as it used to be. Let's take over right now. And if Cleveland is showing anything, it is the exact replica of every single NFL team when you hit on your draft pick. That's really all it is. Because what's the moment you hit on your draft quarterback? Low salary. Bare minimum. And you can go out and put all the money you have on all other players because you already have that star quarterback taken care of for nothing. When he becomes that contract that you have to sign, that's when it all changes. But we saw the Bears do that last year. We saw the Los Angeles Rams do that last season. We've seen this time and time again. What was the other team that was looking at Antonio Brown as a trade? The Bills. Oh, they draft Josh Allen. Same predicament. They were looking to add a lot. What are the Jets doing right now in free agency? As you mentioned, they signed CJ. They're looking to add players. Why? Because they have Sam Donald. They don't have that kind of contract bearing down on them yet. The Browns did exactly what they're supposed to. You mentioned Nick Chubb. They also have Kareem Hunt. Who knows how long he'll be suspended for, but this is an offense where it's like a fantasy dolor. Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, Nick Chubb, Najoku on tight end. There's just talent all around them. And this certainly should be exciting for the Browns. This is when you have to go out in there and go for it. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing here. And they're adding defensive players. They're able to trade one away. They can live without a first-round draft pick when it's going to be middle of the pack when they've had so many aces early in the drafts. That also reminds me of like the Detroit Lions. Yeah, the Detroit Lions never got to the high hopes where Matthew Stafford was making the playoffs. But what did they have after years and years and years of being terrible and going 0-16? 
Well, you draft Calvin Johnson, you draft Matthew Stafford, you draft first-round draft picks constantly, constantly, constantly. And when you're in the top of the draft, you hit a lot. And that's exactly what the Browns have done lately, and that's why they're going after this move. For Giant fans, one team is shaking their head and doesn't really see an end to the tunnel of the future. For the Brown fans, this is incredible for them. And they're looking at it and saying they're probably the best team in the entire AFC North. And how long has it been since we've said anything remotely close to that? So, that that to me kicks it off. I don't really know if there's a replacement out there for the Giants. If they're going to go with... I. Just to clarify, you were right, Jose. It is the Sith pick in the draft. If you're going to go Dwayne Haskins, if you're going to try and hope that Kyle Murray falls to you, or you're going to try and trade one of the pits to try and get Kyle Murray from the Cardinals, or you know, D, uh, DK Metcalf is looking as the star wide receiver in the draft. How early do you think he will go in this draft? Do you take your first round pick? and go Metacalf and use that extra first-round pitch, but it doesn't solve much if you just wasted your pitch from, you know, Odell Beckham, a top-five wide receiver, to now DK Metacalf, who looks as full potential to be a star wide receiver, but you're taking a huge risk instead of the guarantee. So there's so many questions on that for the Giants' side. I didn't... I mean, we we kicked it off with a great trade to begin with. Uh, let's continue on with the, the Antonio Brown part. He gets traded to the Oakland Raiders for just a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick. The Raiders are going to take on all the cap in this for Antonio Brown, but Jose, did the Steelers get anywhere remotely close to enough for Antonio Brown? You know... I don't feel like they did. Um, you mentioned they got a third and a fifth, I believe. Mm-hmm. And a third and a fifth. Yeah, I mean... Madden declined it. Madden but, Steelers would not accept that. Yeah, I saw that. That was pretty funny. But my thing is, though, is that they didn't get enough. And that's very clear. But in my opinion, I feel like the Steelers did what they needed to do. And that was get rid of Antonio Brown. And I know that sounds silly, but... You know, you heard all the problems that were that was going on in that locker room last year. And when you have baggage like that, it no longer becomes, okay, well, we need to get the best kind of value out of here. We never really heard what the Bills were offering for Antonio Brown. So who knows? Maybe the Steelers tried to get something, but then Antonio Brown threw a fit and didn't want to go to Buffalo. So at that point, especially when that trade fell through, you knew that the Steelers were just like, you know what? We just need to get rid of him. It's not about getting a first rounder. It's not about getting a second rounder. We just need to get Antonio Brown out of the locker room because there was no way, no way Antonio Brown can show up to training camp, OTAs, any kind of thing leading up to the NFL season. There was no way Antonio Brown should be allowed back in the locker room. Detrimental to the team's chemistry. So for the Steelers, and again, they didn't get enough back for him, but they did the job and got rid of Antonio Brown, which to me was more important than getting full value back for Antonio Brown. I know it sounds silly, but the Steelers needed to do it. You know, what does it say about 
Antonio Brown in this because he got exactly what he wanted. He got out of Pittsburgh. He gets the guaranteed money from his contract no matter what. Um, and he chose himself over the team, which, you know, I'm all for players doing, you know, the, what's best for players, but this is a total different aspect of it. It's not like you're holding out on a contract like a Le'Veon Bell. This was just, you know, you, you created a mess at the end of the season where you wouldn't play, you got suspended in your last game, uh, you're having all problems with Big Ben. So, you know, I, I, there was a huge team problem with Antonio Brown that he created for years on end. And, and he wins at the end of this all by going and getting the money. But I'll put it this way. There's a report that says the Patriots offered a second round and a fourth rounder for Antonio Brown, which I think is also kind of highly unlikely when you consider uh, Brown is a $21 million cap hit, and the top wide receiver, Julian Edelman, is just 5.4, and the entire offensive line of the Patriots is only $23 million compared to you know Brown's 21. So it's really hard to see Bill Belichick deciding this is worth it, and I'm sure he knows you know star wide receivers don't win Super Bowls at the end of the day, and that's all he cares about. But... If the Patriots did offer this bigger uh, deal of you know the second and the fourth, is it a, a better move to ship him off to Oakland, who finished as one of the worst teams in the NFL last season, than to ship him off to what has essentially been one of your biggest rivals for the last decade? Yeah, I mean it is because, like I said, I know that the mission was to just get rid of him. But at the same time, if you're the Steelers, you can't be stupid. And you can't be reckless either. You give Tom Brady Antonio Brown, that could be a wrap for however long Tom Brady wants to play for. You know what I mean? And again, the Steelers already have enough trouble beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick with just Tom Brady by himself. Uh, so if you're the Steelers, yes, get rid of Antonio Brown, but you also can't um, be too reckless and just give him to anybody. You give him to Oakland. Again, Oakland still has tons of problems. Oakland might not even win the division next year. Oakland might not even be a wild card next year. Um, it really depends on what other moves they do this offseason. Um, but if you're the Steelers, you trade him to a team that might not get in your way. And I think it worked out pretty well. Again, they got rid of him. Check. They sent him to a team that might not compete with the Steelers next year. Check. There's no way. No way. Even if the Patriots would have offered a first round, and I know they wouldn't have done that, but if the Patriots would have offered the first round, you don't do it. For the Steelers, though, I mean, who's to blame for all this type of mess that they're having? Is it Mike Tomlin? Is it Big Ben? Because Antonio Brown gone, Le'Veon Bell is gone. Uh, is it money that's the issue, or is it just you know team character of these players? Like, what to well, you is your take on the the reason this has turned out to be with the Steelers? Well, to me, I think it's a lot of different things. You know, I think it. I also think it's very unfair to just blame Antonio Brown, right? I think you know it's very easy to say, oh, well, Antonio Brown just needs to suck it up and play football, right? Same thing with Le'Veon Bell, right? It's very easy to be like, can you just shut up and play on the field? There's a lot of moving pieces to these arguments. There's a lot of moving pieces to these dramas. I think it's a lot of things. Antonio Brown is just a diva. I mean, you see his attitude. He likes the spotlight to be on him. 
you know, whatever. So it's partially his fault. But also, you also get this sense, and the more stories that we hear, that like Big Ben is like a sheriff in that locker room, right? That Big Ben thinks he can do whatever he wants because he's a QB. And, and, and sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes the QBs are basically like the second head coach, right? It's like, it's what they say, you know, goes. You know, I don't, you know, is it a, a, is it a coincidence that Ty Montgomery got cut by the Packers or got traded from the Packers after he fumbled the ball in that game last year when Aaron Rodgers wasn't too happy with him? There are some guys who what they say is, you know, is what it is in the locker room. And I think, you know, sometimes Ben Roethlisberger does have that self about him too, where, you know, it's his, his way or the highway. Um, and I think you can't run a football team like that either. Um, I don't think it's Mike Tomlin's fault. I think Mike Tomlin has done a, a great job managing all those different eagles, uh, egos, my bad, um, all those different egos and still making the playoffs and still trying to make it far into championship games. Um, but at some point you just got to, you know, it's one of those things where you will deal with Antonio Brown's drama because he's a good football player. But as some of his stats start to decline and he gets more expensive, you don't feel like dealing with it anymore. So I think it's a lot of people's fault. Um, but I think by eliminating at least half the issue, you should start to see things fall back into place and have it be about football again. I'm going to say it's, you know, this is a little bit on my Tomlin. You know, as much as players want the money, as much as players, you, you can't control players' attitudes. Uh Mike Tomlin is not there at all when it comes to any offense. He's not part of the team. He's not part of the drive. He's not part of anything when it comes to it. And, you know, it, it gives players a longer leash. And I, I don't really want to use that as the term, but it's like, you know, oh, we can be outspoken a bit more. Oh, we can do this. Oh, we can do this. Oh, we can deal with this. Oh, we, and, and then it's just you know, it's you have to be more watchful of your team, more watchful of your players, because a situation like this can easily break out. You have to make it more about the team instead of having the possibility of creating divas more openly. I think one of the best things I saw was the the meme pictures of it's like the bid threes continue to fall like and it showed a picture of like the thunder of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Pittsburgh being that now. Uh, for the Raiders side though, Derek Carr has one of the has always been below average in yards per attempt. Antonio Brown leads the league in, you know, reception yards per catch. Do you see Antonio Brown having a lot of success with Derek Carr? You know, I think there is potential for that to work. Um, You know, Antonio Brown all of a sudden becomes the number one option for the Oakland Raiders, right? Amari Cooper is no longer with the team. Um, I believe they still have Jordy Nelson, but... Let's face it, Antonio Brown is going to be option one. Jordy Nelson will be option two. Derek Carr is not a bad quarterback. He's able to throw the ball downfield. My concern is, though, is that what happened this year, Nick? What did we watch this year? Antonio Brown got double teamed a lot, right? Because teams were testing Juju Smith-Schuster, saying, okay, well, until we find out what Juju really has, we're going to double team Antonio Brown. And that's always been a problem, really, of Antonio Brown being double teamed. However, 
He goes to Oakland now with no real option number two. I mean, Jordy Nelson is, is a good wide receiver, but he's, you know, he's not Antonio Brown. He doesn't scare that many defenses. They're going to start to double Antonio Brown, too, unless the Raiders come up with other options, either another wide receiver or if they get a better running back and a better running game. Oakland needs to build a game plan where they're not just going to double team Antonio Brown, because if not, you're not going to see a lot of success. But I do think you will see some success with Derek Carr and Antonio Brown assuming that they're keeping Derek Carr as their main quarterback. You know, you really didn't see, like you said, the success with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper there. And that was Derek Carr's best season. I I don't immediately buy the hype. And on top of that, you don't know if uh, John Gruden wants to go with either a Kyle Murray or a different option as a quarterback in the future instead of Derek Carr. We've seen the numbers of when Big Ben wasn't playing in the games and how Antonio Brown's numbers are very much decreased. And yes, you can give me the backup quarterback, uh, but you're still supposed to be putting up good numbers if you're a star wide receiver. You can still do that at the end of the day. If you're a star player, it doesn't matter. Now, what, San Francisco 49ers tight end. Set the tight end reception uh, yards. All time in a single season. And names escaping me right now, which isn't good. But Jimmy Droppel was out for the year by what? Season, uh, week two, week three? So the star quarterback's gone. The tight end still puts up the most uh, reception yards all time in the single season among all tight ends. So you can still put up great yards even with a backup. Antonio Brown hasn't doesn't even have a touchdown with backup quarterbacks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a little bit of a standout concern. Uh, you know, it seems like the Raiders are adding a lot of different pieces. They do have multiple first-round picks. Uh, they didn't have to trade one away for Antonio Brown. But this also feels like John Gruden, after a terrible first year, is going out of his way to overpay for a lot of position players, overplay for bigger names, have a few draft picks, try and fill a lot of needs really quickly. Does it have to do with the fact that of a huge struggle after a big, large contract? I mean... Yeah, I mean, if you get a big, large contract, you got to perform, and that's the bottom line. And when you don't, there's consequences to that, and there's there's a lot of extra pressure on top of that too. But the bottom line is, you just got to go out there and perform. Uh, crazy start to the season. We're going to cover a lot more of the NFL. Obviously, the two trades stood out, and we have to talk about them. But we'll talk a lot more about the NFL free agency. Uh, Unfortunately, Foles signed with the Jaguars as well. And the draft, as we get closer to it, uh, but just two big trades, especially one right before the podcast for us to kick it off. Uh, what I do want to talk about before we get into the MLB, though, is you know you had an interesting take and feel about Russell Westbrook. You know, he got into a situation and... Definitely stated his opinion uh, with some Utah fans in his game, I think, last night with the Utah Jazz. 
this isn't the first time we've heard Westbrook, you know, and and fans have a disagreement, not just in Utah, but it seems like a lot of different areas. And it leads is is this more fans' fault or is this Westbrook acting out too much? What's your take on this? Begin with this. You know, it, it's again, this is another situation like the Steelers, where there's just a lot of moving parts, right? Let's start with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is notoriously known for being a hothead, right? Um, and I hate saying this, but it's one of those things where if you're Russell Westbrook, you do have to control your emotions a little bit better, right? Because regardless of what the fan says, we can't have you cursing at fans. We can't have you yelling at fans, getting ready to fight them. And I understand. It's probably frustrating. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I wouldn't do the same thing because I would lose my cool too if someone was constantly yelling things at me, talking about my family, potentially saying racial things. I would lose my cool. So I give all the credit in the world to Westbrook that it only comes down to language because I probably punch somebody at the end of the day. But if you're Russell Westbrook, you know, it's just you're going to get in less trouble if you just ignore it. And again, it's easier said than done. And I understand it's very hard. I'm not saying that he was wrong for what he did yesterday, but you know he has to keep it in check for his sake, for his, you know, for his well-being. You know, he got fined twenty-five thousand dollars. I know it doesn't sound like a lot for an athlete, but you don't want to be losing money over this, man. You don't want to be cut by a team because of this. You don't want to serve a suspension because of this. It's just not worth it to give in to these hecklers and all that kind of stuff. Now, from a fan perspective, I'm sorry. You need to shut the hell up and. Honestly, shame on Sports Illustrated. Shame on whoever interviewed the guy after the game for giving this man his 15 minutes of fame because he did not deserve that. He did not deserve to explain himself, telling Russell Westbrook, I mean, yeah, I just I just told him to put some ice on it. You know what, Nick? I have never said to anybody, hey, put some ice on it, and never. I mean, I mean this just might just be me. You let me know. They have never responded, hey, I'll fuck you and your wife up. You? Did that, did that ever happen to you? I don't, I don't really think so. So I don't buy it for a second that that guy just said, hey, why don't you just go put some ice on your knees? And Russell Westbrook decided to lash out in profanity. I'm not a big believer in that. If you're a fan and you have tickets to a game, you can't – sure, you can scream as loud as you want. You can say whatever you want. You know, I'm all for that. I love going to a baseball game and screaming my mouth off, let's go Mets. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't chant Chase Utley sucks – at the Mets game. I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't chant F you Utley, you know, when, when the Dodgers came back to city field for the first time, I was one of those people, but did I direct something at Chase Utley? No. Did I say any racial things towards Chase Utley? No, because that's something that you just can't do. At the end of the day, you still need to act like a human being because the guys on the field, the guys on the court, the guys on the ice, wherever sport you're watching, they're human beings too. Don't act like they're animals. This is not a zoo. We don't just poke glass and tell them to do tricks for us, okay? These are human beings playing a sport under a huge microscope. Learn how to respect people on a stage level. I don't care how much you paid for your seat. You can't just say whatever the hell you want. And then lastly, from an NBA perspective, you can't allow this, man. I was listening to Colin Cowherd today from Fox Sports 1, and he brought up a very good point. In baseball, there's a dugout separating players from fans. In football, there's a huge gap between the sidelines and the fan seating. In basketball, they're right on top of each other. There's literally a fan sitting next to the last guy on the bench. I'm not saying the NBA needs to do a massive thing here, but the NBA needs to do something, whether it's adding more security or taking away 
the closest courtside seats. That way, literally, the fan is not sitting next to Russell Westbrook. I'm all okay with moving some of these seats back because I also think these fans are just way too close to these NBA players, especially because of the nature of the stadium. Every other sport has some distance between the athlete and the fans. With the NBA, there's just no distance between these two fans. And if the NBA doesn't do anything, I don't blame Russell Westbrook if one day he's going to lose his cool and do something a little bit more serious. But let me tell you, Nick, if the NBA doesn't want another malice in the palace, and we all know how that went, they need to they need to do something. Because honestly, it's getting to a scary point where I don't know how much longer Westbrook can control himself. Uh, I'm not going to say it's Westbrook's fault for not Certainly not, out. but there's only so much a human being can take. How many times, though, in different games, though, uh, do we say, like, you know, fans can't be doing this? Uh, it's far too often. And I'm not going to go blaming Westbrook. Because I don't care what Westbrook said. Westbrook stayed on the court. He can say whatever he wants to the fan. In my eyes, that doesn't matter. We we have other issues where, you know, people have tried to go after a fan or two. That's not what you want to do. But, no, in no way, shape, or form will I ever say this is Westbrook's fault. Because... In what way is Westbrook going to say, I'm going to target this fan? Uh, he had earlier in the season, like, a kid come up to him. And, you know, out of nowhere. There's... The NBA is huge on fans. Westbrook, you know, is always there for the fans as well. But there's something where it's just... You have to be better. As a fan base, no matter what, like you said, you can chant all you want, you can call somebody out at times, but there, there comes a point where it's like, you know, how far do you really want to push it? Do security or do players have a better chance of like you know ejecting a fan or two, or because this it gets to a point where it gets too silly. You know, we had an issue in the a- AFC Championship game that someone was taking like a laser pointer and trying to shine it at Tom Brady. Now, if this was in Foxborough, it would be a much bigger story about how like New England Patriot fans and Patriots are cheating again. But in Kansas City, this wasn't a big story because it was happening to the Patriots. It wasn't against the Patriots. But it's but we're missing another point of like a fan doing this. That cannot be doing this. I think we miss a big part of like how far can a fan willingly take something, or should be taking something. Because at the end of the day, if we're questioning at this and we're having a conversation, the fan is taking it too far every single time. The players may be wrong at times as well, but in this case, this season, th- there's got to be some points where. We have to consider moving back a little bit. Yeah, it's great that the NBA can really overcharge for courtside tickets and you'd be extremely, extremely close and you're still extremely close uh, even without the courtside. But there is player safety. There is things that are said. And it can get a little bit over the top. All right, before... Before we go into the 
National League because we are going to do the National League uh, projections, how we think each team will do, uh, which teams will have winning the division. We're going to skip our World Series predictions for our net podcast when we have the AL ones. As well, we'll keep the MVP and Cy Young's a little bit quiet for now. But first thing that stands out to me with the National League is let's just make the Marlins disappear for a moment. Outside of them, the 14 other teams in the National League, I was say you can make it a pretty decent case that Team X can make the playoffs. And... You know, obviously, three teams won 100 games last season in the American League. The Boston Red Sox won the World Series last year. Uh, Houston the year prior. So, yeah, the mo- probably the most dominant team or two is in the American League. But the overall in the National League where pretty much every single team has a great shot, a fighting shot, and a case to be made to play, make in the playoffs this season. Uh, this certainly is an exciting time for the National League when you look at just every team has a great opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to say one person has it easier than the other. But, um, you know, right now I feel like in the American League, there's about four to five powerhouse teams um, that could really make the playoffs. And, you know, now, as we know, there's five spots um, to make the playoffs. So the American League is just a little bit more predictable. There's a lot more teams rebuilding on their end, as opposed to the National League, where a couple of years ago, a lot of these teams were rebuilding, and now they're making moves um, to strengthen their squad. Uh, so like you said, it, 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 every couple of years, the power always shifts between the American League and the NL. And I think you can say with confidence right now, the NL is where it's at in terms of a lot of different teams um, can make the playoffs, and there's only five spots for them. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see. I want to ask also on this one, though, uh, because obviously we're going to talk about you know off-season moves, uh, things that stood out to you by each team. Uh, in the entire National League, which team had the biggest off-season? You know, honestly, I know... You are going to go choose the – well, I know who you're going to choose. I'm going to say it's actually the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and I know that's going to probably shock some people for me picking it. But, I mean, this is a team that's been in, stuck in the rebuilding stage for a while now. I feel like they decided to rebuild a while ago. And I feel like they made some mistakes along the way. You know, they haven't been hitting on their draft picks. Um, they haven't been producing talent as they should. Um, and I think they finally pulled the trigger on a big trade here when they acquired Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp. Um, you know, Puig still has the potential to be a star in this league. I think he still is. Um, I think he has really, really good numbers. They needed the corner outfield help. And he brings a lot of energy to this team. Um, I do have some questions about how him and Joey Votto are going get to get along. You know, two very different personalities. Um, but I think that might actually help them. Because, you know, Joey Votto is the, you know, let's be serious and get down to business. While, yes, so Puig can have a little bit of fun. You add a guy like Matt Kemp, who's a veteran to this squad. Um, they have a center fielder named Nick Senzel. Um, that should be pretty good. I love Eugenio Suarez. So the Reds have a lot of good pieces. The only thing I'm really worried about is their pitching. Um, they went out there, you know, they traded for Alex Wood. They traded for Tanner Roark, Sonny Gray. So they brought in a couple of veterans while they still nurture some of the young kids um, in the minor leagues. 
I don't know if they did enough to go and win the NL Central, but I will say it is going to be very, very competitive in that division. And interesting to see how Cincinnati does. I feel like Cincinnati's finally taking a giant step in the right direction into being relevant again. Um, so I'm going to choose the Cincinnati Reds. So I'll, I'll take the easier choice. Uh, the Phillies, you add JT Ramiro, you add Bryce Harper, you add Gene Sidor, you add a relief pitching in David Robinson. I mean, you're filling all voids that you need at the end of the day. And they also add Andrew McCutcheon. In retrospect, they've added two former MVPs, a closer slash you know, eighth inning setup man in David Robinson, whichever one they so choose to go with. The best catcher in baseball and one of the most underrated shortstops in baseball. Their their offense has completely changed in an offensive part. Rice Hoskins has a lot of power already to begin. He had thirty plus home runs last season, just under a hundred RBIs. He'll be certainly expected to hit 30 and uh, 100 this year. Their, their one question is like Malik Franco at third base, and still he can get the job done plenty-wise, and they have competitions at third base right now going. But you know, the, the Phillies easily jumped the projected win columns multiple times with all the moves they've made. I there's still a couple question marks at the end of the day when it comes to the Phillies, uh, back end of the starting rotation. But, you know, this team is ready to go this season. Uh, a lot of games they lost real close last year. For a while last season, they were competing with the Braves to try and win the division. You steal the Nationals' best player on top of that. You take the Marlins' best player, two division rivals. On top of that, you make far more off-season moves than the Braves. So, you know, the Phillies could be already projected to win the division by all their off-season moves. And I don't think the Phillies were the favorite going into the off-season to win the division. So, I think that's an easy standpoint on how much Philly has changed their entire roster. And certainly willing to spend some money to get the players they need to make a real chance for... You know, the division, a postseason run, and trying to get back to the World Series. So we are going to start in the West Coast, and we are going to break down each team. Uh, starting with the San Diego Padres, we'll go from last to first in the prior year, and then, of course, Jose and I will both give you our team and a, a quick reason on why we have them finishing where we do. So the San Diego Padres, obviously, they added Manny Machado. They have a lot of top young players, Fernando Tatis, Mackenzie Dorr, who probably won't be up this season, but more of the next season. Uh, the opening day possible starter has not even thrown a pitch in the major leads right now. Uh, that's where the Padres are at, but you know, there's a lot of positive thinking when it comes to San Diego because of the moves that they have and a lot of prospects to come. What is it you think San Diego and what should be the expectation for Padre fans this season? Well, I think for Padre fans, you know, it's going to be a very, very interesting season. Um, as you said, they picked up Manny Machado. And, you know, it's one of those things where 
uh, you know, you can't expect too much too quickly. And I think that that's what should the motto should be. You know, I think Padre fans need to understand that this is going to take a little bit of time. Um, you know, the Padres are not going to come out. They're not going to win the NL West next year. Flat out. I think you got to let Manny Machado get acclimated um, to hitting in San Diego. Uh, we saw with Eric Hosmer that his numbers took a little bit of a dip his first season in San Diego to let Machado get his feet wet. Um, you know, let him go out there and, and learn how to hit in Petco Park. Um, let Fernando Tatis Jr. come up this year. Let him get acclimated. Let him grow more. And again, I, I say at some point this season, I say bring the kids along that are ready in AAA. Let them get experience in the MLB. And then eventually, you know, you're going to have a team that's rolling. So for me, for the Padres, it's really not about this year. It's more about next year. As you said, a lot of their top prospects probably won't see the majors until September or early next year. So if you're the Padres, it's all about a wait-and-see approach. you got the big fish in Manny Machado. Maybe work on a way to develop some more pitching. Maybe sign a pitcher. I don't know, Dallas Keigel's still out there. And again, I know it's not about this year still, but at least by signing these people, you have them in your pocket for next year. Um, and again, for the Padres, it's really just get everybody on the same page, get them ready, because once 2020 hits, I expect the Padres to be an even better team um, than they will be in 2019. But I think they will be better. I don't think they're going to finish in last place this year. If you're looking at it, I mean, it's for the Padres, obviously the prospects, top, uh, 10 of the top 100. Uh, Fernando Tatis ranked second. Uh, Mackenzie Doors, I think, in the top 25. I, I, this is more, let's see what we have with a lot of our prospects, of course. There, there's certainly not going to be a lot of misses. It's hard to miss that many, and if you... If you hit on five or six, not you don't have to go ten for ten. You've got a dynasty at the end of the day. And we already know guys like Gore and guys like Tatis should easily be hits. And the middle of the infield will be set for a long time. So this is going to be a very interesting team. I, I really like the offense that they have. Uh f- Reyes, right fielder, I think he's going to be highly underrated. A lot of power he's got uh, coming into from his first season in the big leagues. He, he only played 87 games, just over 260 at-bats, and he had 16 home runs. So he's got plenty of power, and you're talking about them still playing in San Diego. So you got to love that when you have a guy like him. Uh, Hosmer, Will Myers... A lot of offense possibilities. Two strong catchers in Austin Hedges, Francisco Mejia. I agree with you, though. I don't have them winning the division. I think that's too much of a stretch. There's not enough depth in that starting pitching. And there's just nothing to trust. As much as I like the idea that Chris Paddock could be their opening day starter, their biggest offseason starting pitching move was adding Garrett Richards on a two-year deal, he's having Tommy John surgery this season. He's not going to play at all. His signing was for 2020. It's a little odd. Normally, you see a lot of teams do the opposite, try and just get a guy, a stopgap guy, this season to eat a lot of innings. So when the young rookies can come along next season, uh, they'll be an open spot. This was the exact opposite, it feels like, for San Diego. But that just shows you... 
they didn't really probably have their eyes set on anybody when you consider the free agent market. And when you have a lot of guys like, you know, Paddock, Door, you already have two of your five guys for your starting pitching already set. It's just, it might take a year. Uh, and I think for the Padres, it also might take a year. Gotta let these uh, rookies at least develop and see what they can do in AAA and in a little bit of the time in the majors. The San Francisco Giants, you know, they weren't able to get Bryce Harper. They weren't able to get Manny Machado, even though it really was more Harper they were on. They still have Madison Bumgarner. He's on a uh, he's a free agent at the end of this season. A lot of question marks when he come with the Giants, especially with that payroll. Do you see the Giants mainly competing, or do you see the Giants more of a midseason trader? You know, I see the Giants as a midseason trader. They tried to make a run, as you said, for Harper. Um, but me and you both agreed that it, that didn't really make any sense for them. I mean, if they sign Harper, it, it doesn't really you know it doesn't put them over the top. Um, this is an aging team that probably needs to start. You know, rebuilding, and if they, to me, if they trade the right pieces, they can do a quick rebuild. They can turn this around very easily. We've seen teams do that, right? We've seen the Yankees kind of rebuild on the fly by getting rid of guys when they should and bringing in the young guys mixed with some veterans. The Giants can do that, but that also needs to start this year. So, you know, getting rid of guys like Evan Longoria, if they have any value at all, maybe trading a guy like Brandon Crawford, and yes, it sucks, but maybe exploring a trade for someone like Madison Bumgarner, because the truth is, you're not moving Buster Posey. And when he does come back from his hip surgery injury, he's going to be playing first base full time. You have a catcher named Joey Bart, who is the future at that position. So if you're the Giants, you, you can't keep chasing guys like Harper and put a Band-Aid over a wound that needs to be stitched up in order to fix problems. If you're the Giants, you need to do this thing, tear it down a little bit, and build a team that's going to compete for three, four years, five years in the future. Um, I don't think the Giants have a solid foundation right now, so I think they do need to look to explore some trades because right now um, I have them finishing. You know, I, I can see them finishing at the bottom of the NL West. When it comes to a Bumgarner trade, because I certainly think this is a possibility. Uh, you mentioned Joey Bart, future top prospect. He's, I think, the top catching prospect in all of baseball. He's the number one prospect on the Giants. Uh, they have Buster Posey. I doubt they're looking to trade Buster Posey. If anything, Posey moves to first base at that point and maybe plays a game or two at catcher. I almost feel like Buster Posey can become the next Joe Maurer type of transition from first to uh well, Maurer mainly became a DH at that point, but Posey's got the ability to play first. Can you see the idea because there's still two more years to go, including on top of that this year as well, for Brandon Belt, that a Madison Bumgarner trade isn't really to get a lot of prospects. It's to ship somebody along with Madison Bumgarner. Do you feel like that could be more of a thing that the uh, Giants go after? You know, I don't I don't know because the Giants are in a weird situation where it's like you don't want to give away these players because these are guys that can still help you right now. And, you know, the Giants have always been a weird team where even when they won their World Series, you know, for a year they were good, the next year they would stink, a year they were good, the next year they would stink. So 
you never know. The Giants could catch lightning in a bottle this year again and put it together and make another run to the playoffs. But again, there is no foundation for this team. I wouldn't look to put contracts together. I think step one is trading either Madison Bumgarner or Brendan Crawford. And I think you need to, you know, pair these guys by themselves, right? Because like Seattle, they traded Cano with Diaz to get Cano's contract out because they had no choice. I don't think the Giants need to necessarily do that. I feel like everybody is still under a good contract. Teams are still going to want these guys, and they'll still give you the price you want. And for the Giants, you don't necessarily have to trade them, so you're not going to be forced into anything that you don't want to do. I think there's a lot of possibilities when it comes to it. Uh, I think in a perfect world for the Giants, if they're trying to trade away Madison Bumgarner in a combo with Brandon Belt, you would need... Uh, for the Yankees to really struggle uh, with the first baseman option, where they're able to take both needs and have that long term, uh, that would be more of a way to go. Of you know, who can you also sell this to? Uh, so there's certainly teams that can exploit a need. Uh, first base though is pretty deep among a lot of positions on teams. It's tough to see a suitor, but. I think that's what you need to do. You, you open up possibilities. And if you can open up $16 million and a position for a prospect, at the end of the day, you got to try and make that opening. It's not going to be easy. It's going to cost you a lot. But, you know, they gave a lot of contracts to a lot of players way too quickly to keep on a dynasty that was solid for a couple of years, but it just seemed like they were trying to keep it together where it didn't need to be. And it was, you know, let's keep Pablo, uh, try and keep Pablo Sandoval as long as we can, and then they still got him back. Keep Brandon Crawford, keep Buster Posey, keep Brandon Belt, keep Joe Panic. don't have an outfield, but we'll hold on to Hunter Pence for as long as we can. It, it just... It leaves them with a lot of question marks at the end of the day, and it's certainly tough to believe in the Giants this season, especially with a lot of their long-term contracts. Yeah, it's both Giants are disappointing. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not a positive Giants uh, podcast episode. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they just added Adam Jones. One-year, $3 million deal. I mean, that's a steal in my mind for a guy that, Last season was the first year in seven years where he didn't hit 25 home runs. Uh, good defensive outfielder. He'll split time with Kenta uh, Marte. Between and Marte moving around all the time. Yeah, they traded away Paul Goldsmith. They still have Zach Ranky, a contract they'll never be able to get rid of. Uh, Dimebats somehow finished 82 and 80 last season, but they have a lot of missing pieces after Pollock leaves and all the trades. Uh, any chance the uh, Diamondbacks finish above 500 again? Honestly, I feel like they actually, you know, this is a team that it's going to be very hard for them to finish over 500. Like you said, you know, they add Adam Jones on a one-year deal. You know, they still have guys like Peralta and Marte. So they still have some good pieces on their team. You know, they have guys like Robbie Ray. They have guys like Zach Greinke. But then they go and trade a guy like Paul Goldschmidt away. Um, You know, for the Diamondbacks, again, they could take a page of what we just said for the Giants to do and kind of rebuild here on the fly. Because like you said, they're not getting rid of Greinke's contract. So what can you trade, though? You can trade a guy like Robbie Ray 
if he does really good this year. You can trade away a guy like Archie Bradley if he has a good um, season this year in relief. And there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be asking for relievers at the deadline. You know, and you know that for down the stretch. You know, it's all about the bullpen um, when it comes to making the playoffs as well, too. You know, they signed Greg Holland, who if he proves if he's healthy, maybe he can get you know traded as well, too. So if you're the Diamondbacks here, they have a lot of names in that team that they can still trade if they want to try and rebuild as quickly as possible here. Because when you have a contract like Granke's, it honestly doesn't make any sense to cut to rebuild for five years when you can try and retool this for two to three by trading away some of these other players you have. But I don't think they're going to finish above 500. I mean, their only option with Granky is to do exactly what Seattle did. Eat a lot of the millions, try and trade a top player along with it, and take on a large contract like a Jay Bruce. That's their best option with Zach Granky. I don't see that happening. Uh, to me, I, I can't see this team finishing over 500. Uh, and the only way that it pulls off that miracle is if they literally beat the hell out of the Giants and the Padres. But even still... You lost a consistent top 10 finalist in an MVP in Paul Goldsmith. You lose A.J. Pollock. You lose Patrick Corbin. And you can't sell me that the replacements of these guys are going to be good enough. It's just not enough at the end of the day. The offense, I'm sure, can still be there even without the two guys in the middle of the lineup for them. But... There's just too many missing pieces. Teams are getting better around them, like the Rockies. The Giants may be a little bit on the fits, but their roster should still be better than the Diamondbacks. And the, the Padres are improving by day by day every time these minor these young kids get a little bit more playing time. I, I don't think the Diamondbacks are done. It's a little strange to have seen them you know, re-sign Eduardo Escobar after the moves that they've made. But, yeah, the Diamondbacks, it's going to be a rough year in my mind for them. Then finishing up almost with the division, we have the Colorado Rockies. They've added guys like Daniel Murphy. They gave Nolan Arenado a large contract. A lot of young pitchers on the, uh, the staff. The only thing that they really lost was you know, a little bit extra help in that bullpen with Wade Davis. Where do you see the Rockies this season? You know, I see them right up there at the top. I mean, they had a really good year last year. And to me, I think they're going to be competing with the Dodgers all year long. You know, they re-sign Arenado, so they have their guy. They're excited about that. Um, you know, they have their guy long-term. He's not going anywhere. And like you said, you know, they have Wade Davis. Their bullpen's always kind of shaky. But what, to me... What's encouraging about the Rockies, right, even though they got out in the first round, is that two things. One, Trevor Story, I feel like he's finally back now. You know, his first season was a huge one, and everybody thought it was a fluke because he had a bad second year. But I feel like Trevor Story is really consistent now and that this is the player he's going to be. So that's huge for them to pair up with Arenado. But also, Nick, what they finally got last year was great pitching. When's the last time you can say that the Rockies have had a great starting staff? Kyle Freeland is fantastic in that ballpark. Marquez is another good pitcher. I feel like the Rockies have finally found a good group of guys that can actually tolerate pitching at Coors Field, and that's going to do tremendous things for them because the Rockies, to me, are always a back-and-forth team. One year they're good, 
one year they're not. They also brought in Daniel Murphy this year, which I think is a good fit for Coors Field. You know, to me, it's just there's a lot of bright days ahead for the Rockies, especially because of the pitching set that they have right now. I expect the Rockies to go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers this year for the NL West crown. Okay, let me ask you this one. Rockies won 91 games last season. I just looked up, you know, the projected win total. It's at 84 and a half. I know you're not a better, but safe bet on your mind? I'll take the over. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm, I'm really close to twitching the over on that. Um, yeah, this this to me is a fantastic team. Jermaine Marquez is looking like a top two starter the way he finished off the second half of the season. He's a big reason why the Rockies were able to get that postseason run. But you mentioned the pitching staff even further. Kyle Freeland. This guy is so underrated. I think in fantasy baseball, he's ranking at like over 200-plus. He's behind Jermaine Marquez, and I like Jermaine. But Kyle Freeland finished fourth in the National League in Cy Young. I'm sorry, a Colorado Rockies pitcher finished in the top five for a Cy Young. The only thing we talked about when it's the Rockies is how hitter-friendly part Coors Field has. Now they have a Cy Young ace possibility on their staff. On top of Marquez. And John Gray, highly underrated. The ERA, not always great. Part of that's Coors Field. Part of that's a little bit of a struggle at times when he's going on the road. Doesn't really matter when we talked about the Rockies' offense. One of the things Dre does very well is strike out batters at a high volume. That's always very important to have. The biggest question marks Adam Ottavino leaving. Uh, that, that puts a little bit of a bullpen question for me. Uh, Wade Davis did blow a lot of saves last season, and they still managed to win 91 games on top of that. Uh, so... You know, I'm I'm all for this. I love the Daniel Murphy signing. You know, whether he's playing more second base or first base, at the end of the day, this is a guy when he was healthy with the Nationals and a good offense around him. He was what second for the MVP. He's not that far removed from it. He's a great offensive hitter. Put him in in an offensive part, something he's never heard of. After his years in City Field, with guys like Blackman and Arenado in the lineup and Trevor Story, Murphy, I don't, I'm not going to say he's you know MVP candidate, but he's certainly going to be high production volume. So you got you got to love this offense. The pitching staff is there. I only question the bullpen, but I really love this team going into this season. And I like that over-under, so I'm going to probably make uh, my wager before the end of tonight on that. We should go 50-50 on it. I'm all for it. We'll talk about that (laughs) after the show. (laughs) Um, Last week we got the Dodgers. They've been to the World Series the last two years in a row. Fell short both years. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's having some injuries in spring training. Might not be ready. Uh, You know, they made the trades, like you said, with Cincinnati. But let's talk about Kershaw first. Are you concerned about Kershaw at this point? There's a lot of innings on those uh, that arm of his 
for his career. Where's your factor with Kershaw? Honestly, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm a little concerned. I mean, it feels like this is every year now that Kershaw has a trip to the DL or he starts the year on the DL. And, you know, you hear these injuries, and they're not exactly small injuries. It's his back. It's his arm. It's his shoulder. I mean, there's only so much a human body can keep taking uh, in terms of, like, injuries to the back and stuff. So I'm very, very concerned um, about Clayton Kershaw. I'm very concerned about the Dodgers in general, too. I mean, we spoke about it earlier. Cincinnati makes a trade. They get Yasiel Puig. And, yes, the Dodgers had way too many outfielders. But I always felt like the Dodgers made that trade. That way they can try and go and get Bryce Harper, no matter what they say. They didn't get Bryce Harper. So now you sign A.J. Pollock, who, to me, I think he's a little bit overrated. I don't think he's going to replace the production that Puig gives you and Matt Kemp gave you last year. Um, you know, they still have Cody Bellinger, who can play the outfield. They have the young prospect in Alex Verdugo. But, you know, it starts with their pitching, and I'm very concerned that if Kershaw's not going to be there for a significant amount of time, who else do they have in this rotation? I mean, the Dodgers always seem to find a way to make it work. But, um, you know, is Corey Seager? Not Corey. Is it Corey? No. Yes, I'm right. Is Corey Seager going to start the year? I'm hearing reports that he may not be ready, you know, to start the season. Um, so the Dodgers have a lot of injury concerns to start the season already. They didn't make a lot of moves last year. And I'm worried that the Dodgers are trusting too much in the platoon swaps here. Because um, I didn't like a lot of their lineups, honestly, in the playoffs last year, too. And they lost Yasmani Grandal. I know a lot of Dodger fans hate him because he couldn't hold on to the ball in the playoffs. But that's still a good offensive catcher um, to lose. And you don't exactly have a catcher to replace him. Yeah, there's, there's far more concerns when it comes to the Dodgers than love. And it's rare to say, uh, I am very much concerned about Twain Kershaw. Uh, he is not a player I'm targeting in fantasy baseball at all. Uh, there is more to the fact that I'm only would consider him in dynasty leads and for a very, you know, a lower amount of money to try and keep him again. Uh, but Walter Bluer, everyone's extremely high on his stats, uh, extremely high on how well he played. There are a lot of concerns for me. Yes, a, a 2.62 ERA in 137 innings is great. And there's no denying he had a phenomenal year last season compared to the year prior when, you know, he he didn't really pitch at all. Um, But he only threw 137 innings. Are are we really expecting him to hit the 200 range? And then that becomes a big question mark when he goes from uh, an extra 60 innings in just one season, that's a lot to expect. Yes, they have some young prospects around them as well, but there's been injury concerns. Their starting catcher, as you named, is going to be Russell Martin this season. Uh, Justin Turner had uh, a tough time staying healthy. Corey Seager practically missed the entire last season. Uh, You're banking on Matt Smuncy again uh, to have a big year. Uh, Cody Bellinger had... You know, not a great season compared to his rookie year. I'm not a huge fan of Jock Peterson. And as much as I love A.J. Pollock, he always gets injured. We we knew if he signed with the Mets, he was guaranteed to hit the DL at least a half a dozen times before the end of the contract, and it could have been only a one-year deal. Um, but 
you know, Pollard's going to spend time on the DL at some point this season or in a year from now. That's just how he does it. Uh, there's a lot of concern for the Dodgers. I don't know if they can retain the NL West with a lot of question marks. With it, though, Jose, because we got to go into the Central, give us your division for the NL West. Are we starting from last to first? You can start however you prefer. All right, I'm going to start from last to first. In fifth place, I actually have the San Francisco Giants. Um, I'm not very high on this team right now. Again, I feel like they tried to make a push for Harper, which didn't really make any sense in my opinion, which also told me that this team does not really have a strong direction, um, which is very concerning. Uh, you know, when this is a team that went to the World Series not too long ago, what, three out of five times, three in a five-year span, and won three of them? So, um, so honestly, it's very concerning. I think they need to trade some of these pieces away, whether it's Madison Bumgarner or Brendan Crawford. I don't think the Giants... You know, they have a chance to not suck for like three years in a row. But in order to do that, you have to get rid of some of these guys now and retool now before it becomes too late and you find yourself rebuilding uh, in a four or five year span. That's not exactly what you want. In fourth place, I'm going to go with the Arizona Diamondbacks again. I mean, this is a team, you know, I like that they gave Adam Jones a job. I think he deserves one. Uh, But, they, you know, they let A.J. Pollock walk. They let, you know, Paul Goldschmidt walk until I see them. Uh, you know, do something this year. I still think they're going to trade a guy like Robbie Ray or Archie Bradley or maybe even like a, a Jay Clam. Um, you know, they're going to try and retool too. I think there's, again, for the D-backs and the Giants, there's potential for them to bounce back really quickly in terms of rebuilding on the fly and rebuilding really quickly to get back into contention, but they have to do it this year. And that's by trading away some pieces and getting some, you know, some players back that they can use in the future. But until then, I, I feel like it's very hard uh, to imagine the D-backs and the Giants finishing anywhere but fourth and fifth place this year. So D-backs fourth, Giants in fifth. And third, I have the Padres. Uh, I feel like a lot of people think that's a giant leap for them. But you know what? Don't sleep on this offense. This is the middle of the order that has Machado, Hosmer, and Will Myers. Um, You know, it took Will Myers some time to adjust to the stadium. And, you know, eventually he had a really good offensive year. I think Hosmer will bounce back this year. I think Machado is going to struggle a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think Machado is better than Will Myers and Eric Cosmer, so I think he'll be just fine. I think Tatis Jr. is going to be a phenomenal player, Nick. Um, I, I really believe that. And I think the youth is going to show in this team they're going to make mistakes, but you got to let them make some mistakes because, again, it's all about next year. It's all about 2020. Let the kids play. Let them grow. Let them make errors. Um, you know, I think the Padres are going to be a really good offensive team. They need to work on the pitching. They need to figure out a plan to get the pitching in check by 2020 because if you want to go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers and the, and the Rockies, you're going to need pitching to do that. And right now, I just don't have it. Um, in second place, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Again, like we said, a lot of injuries, a lot of concerns when it comes to Kershaw. Like you said, everybody's high on Walker Bueller. I agree. I think Walker Bueller, Walker Bueller's a stud. But at the same time, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on a kid um, you know, to go out there and be the everyday ace. It might not work out that way. And again, I, I, just, I don't like the A.J. Pollock signing. Seeker's going to be missing for some time. And... For the Dodgers, I'm all about analytics. I love it, incorporate it, but I think they rely on it a little bit too much. Um, you know, with all the platoons that they put out there on an everyday basis, you got to have some consistent lineups out there. It can't just be a lefty-righty thing every single night. And again, I think they let a lot of players walk away. It's very integral to their team. Um, Grandal is a, is a key example, in my opinion. I don't think Russell Martin's going to come in here and duplicate 
what Yasmani Grandal did offensively for them um, during his tenure in L.A. And I think they're going to miss the energy of Yasiel Puig. And they let their hitting coach go to Cincinnati. And I think to me, you know, um, Turner Ward, who was the hitting coach for the, for the Dodgers, I think a big reason why they were able to accomplish a lot of things that they did was because of his good hitting coach skills, because he was able to connect with Puig. And now he goes to Cincinnati instead. So big loss there for the Dodgers. So in first place as the NLS champs, I have the Colorado Rockies. I mean, like we said, I really like their pitching staff. Um, Kyle Freeland, I think, is going to have another bounce back year. I don't think that was a fluke last year. I think Marquez is going to take a big step forward. I think the Rockies actually have a legit pitching staff to go with a really good offense like they always do. And I always felt like if the Rockies can get that group of guys, figure out a way to get some pitchers into Coors Field that can handle it, they're going to be in good shape. And I think the Rockies are ready to take this division over, um, especially knowing that they have Arenado in their back pocket for the next couple of years. They don't have to worry about this being his walk year. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? That distraction's out of the way, and they're able and they're ready to roll. All right, so a lot of the teams, we kind of have the same part, but I'm going to start with fifth, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks. What, they won 82 games last season. They've missing a lot of pieces from uh, last year's roster. I think that easily can drop in to at least 10 losses, maybe even more closer to like the 17 that the Padres were sitting at at that 65 range. I, I think that could be the design factor on why they're easily, for me, the fifth place team in this division. Expect the Diamondbacks to not be done trading. I think if they can, you know, if Adam Jones can be somewhat of himself on a $3 million contract, he's not that hard to trade away to a postseason contender. I, uh, you know, I, I like Kento Marte, but that's their right now their biggest piece on their team offensively, and he's not got the power around him. Uh, David Peralta, great fan of, but there's just not enough here to believe in the Diamondbacks as the division is improving around them, especially with two of the core teams. Uh, Diamondbacks in fifth. I'm going to go the Padres for fourth, and I think they do have... The, easily the potential to be more, a much better team in this division, but they just to, to buy a team to finish in the better half of a division when you don't know any of the starting pitching in set in stone yet, that's hard to do. And I for just on that reason alone, I'm putting the uh, Padres in fourth. I won't be surprised if they do finish third like you have them, Jose. Uh, but there's just not enough to believe in for that starting staff. And a lot would have to go right for a lot of these young starters immediately for success to get them that far over the hump. Uh, so I'm going to take the safety pick and put him in third. Uh, San Francisco Giants, I think we kind of both see them as that part where they're, you know, not the worst team in this division, I think they, uh, but they're just stuck in the middle of a, of a poor division, not improving. Uh, for the Giants, though, they're most likely going to be trading players away, I, and I think that's going to be whether they're fighting for a wild card, uh, second wild card spot, and in the cusp of it, or just not completely in it at all. They can't let Madison Bumgarner hit free agency. If they expect to sign him or one of the starting pitchers, that's great if you can convince them to do so. But you should still look to trade him at the end of the day. At worst, he becomes like uh, a Wells Chapman. You 
if you Yankees, you traded him away to the Cubs. The Cubs were able to win the World Series. You were still able to get Chapman back. I think the same can happen for Madison Bumgarner. He's not a guy that seems like he's a New York style in that scenario. But this is this is a star postseason pitcher. And at the end of the day, any team that needs a starting pitcher making a postseason run can add the best postseason starting pitcher available. Uh, easily taking that as a possibility to see him getting traded. There's a lot of question marks with the Giants. Uh, and I think there's a lot more trades to come for the Giants this season. Uh, second, we have the same team finishing second, and that's the Dodgers. I'm very much concerned about A.J. Pollock and Twain Kershaw. I agree with you. Uh, you know, for a while, the Dodgers really weren't getting going in this division. There were a lot of struggles, and there's always that point middle of the season where they just catch fire. And they just go on a winning streak like crazy. They they lost a lot of losing streaks in a row. They they were very streaky of a team. A lot of that has to do with a lot of the power that this lineup has. If they're going to catch fire, they're going to hit a lot of home runs. If they're going to slump, they're going to slump together. Uh, For me, a defining moment is Puig being traded. He always seemed to be the core to that, you know, that that's winning streak. As much as the starting pitching got going. There's always the offense that going. I think that really evolved around Yasiel Puig. I'm very much curious of how the team will do without that kind of piece around them. I It's hard to pick the Dodgers when you look at the injury problems that they could possibly have this year. Uh, as you mentioned, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, uh, Kershaw Pollock. Uh, Russell Martin, I, I, I'm just not buying into it. It's not the former Russell Martin when he was with the Dodgers. This is now years after with the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I can't expect a full season out of him either uh, due to his age. Th- there's a lot of question marks. Hinju Ru pitches very well, always seems to be hurt at times. Hard to buy into the Dodgers this year uh, to make that run. And First in this division, I think, is the Rockies. They have three starting pitchers, all one, two, three, that can go toe-to-toe with any starting pitcher. On top of that, they have what could be one of the best offenses in baseball. They feature guys that are, you know, former top five finishers in MVPs in different years. Blackman, Murphy, Arenado. They have guys like Desmond and Dahl, whether they're playing first base or the outfield. A lot of top prospects still to come up on this team. I think Garrett Hampton might be the starting uh, second baseman this season. They still have Brendan Rodgers, one of the top prospects in the minor leads for shortstop. Trevor Story, you mentioned him. I think he's 15th ranked in fantasy baseball this season. When I did my rankings, uh, that's where I had him. So I'm very much high on Trevor Story this season. Uh, this is a team that I expect you know, all to come together. The offense is there. The pitching is there. The bullpen is my one question. I would love to see them put a little bit more money, maybe even get, you know, Trey Kimball. I think that could be an interesting fit. Uh, but I would love to see them at a setup, man, and go a little bit more on the bullpen this offseason as one last final move. But this team... 85, 84 and a half, 85 and a half wins. I think they're going to well eclipse that. 
Yes, the Padres are improved, but that pitching staff isn't ready to handle a Rockies offense. The Giants are not getting better. The the Diamondbacks, they've lost so many players. I think you can look at that and say the Rockies can easily beat up on that side of the division. Um, then it's just a matter of how you face against the Dodgers. And no, this is a real close. At the end of the day, only one game separated the Rockies from the Dodgers. That was the division, just separated by one game. It's easy to believe the Rockies can can surpass the Dodgers this season, and we both have them doing so. Uh, jumping to the Central, we'll start with Cincinnati, who finished 67 and 95. And Jose, from the talk on who had the best off season, you had Cincinnati high. Uh, you know, what's your expectation for Cincinnati, and what should the fans be expecting? Again, I think Cincinnati, um, you know, they made a lot of good moves in the offseason to start their process um, to get them to a a level where they can actually compete uh, for seasons going on. Again, I like Eugenio Suarez. I like a lot of their team, even though I think they made a lot of improvements. I don't think they're going to contend for the NL Central crown just yet. Um, I do think that this is a team that's going to make some games interesting. I think they're going to – I think this is going to be a team that – it's going to make things tough for teams like the Cubs and the Brewers and and you know and even the Cardinals. You know, teams that are more of a threat to win the division, they're going to have to beat the Reds in order to win a lot of these games and put them in a good position to win the NL Central. And I think the Reds are going to play them really tough. Um, so I can see the Reds being a lot like the Padres, where you know they still have a couple of kids in the minors. They may not put it all together this year, especially with that pitching staff, because they do need some you know better pitchers on that staff. But this is a team that could make it interesting. They could get hot enough to get a second wild card spot, but I think they fall just short. So if you're a Cincinnati Red fan, you should be excited for the season. I think you're going to see some new things, and I think you're going to see a good team. But I think it's going to be a lot like the Padres, where it's still not about this year. It's more about next year. For Cincinnati, I think one of the things is, you know, they still have a lot of up-and-coming prospects. Nitz Senzel, you know, trying to find a position for him. Uh, is a key piece. Uh, one of the guys I love, Scooter Jeanette. The outfield is pretty much set. Uh, I'd love to see uh, Cincinnati try and add another starting pitcher. And I know we've we're going to hear that often. You know, Sony Gray. Uh, I thought his comments about the Yankees was extremely interesting, and. When we we have our American lead one, I think that's something to dive into, uh, especially. Uh, I think Gray is going to have a bounce back season, even in pitching in a hitter's park like the Great American Ballpark. Um, now, close of this set, the bullpen is interesting. Michael Lorenzano, he's trying to become a two-star type hitter, uh, come in relief, and then we saw him play a little bit of center field and then pitch another inning of relief. The way he hits the bat... Um, I wouldn't, I hope they don't go overboard with this one, uh, with him at the end of the day, I can't see him being a better hitter than what you have as your everyday center fielder or everyday outfielder. So I don't know if that's a great move long-term, but for spring training, why not? It's spring training. Uh, when, when a team has the ability to add Matt Kempt, Yasiel plead into the outfield, the offense looks very complete right now, and this is certainly a team 
you can expect a lot from offensively. Uh, the pitching staff may be the one question mark, but certainly Cincinnati was very much improved from the year prior. Uh, Pittsburgh and the rest of the t- uh, division finished above 500 at that point. 82 and 79 for the Pirates. Uh, they made some good trades. They have Chris Archer, uh, who seemed to really struggle in Pittsburgh, which is surprising when you talk about that transition to the National League. Jameson uh, Taylon, uh, a nice one-two punch as long as Archer you know, can be the Chris Archer he was to begin his career with the Rays, but What's your take on the Pirates? Can they really fight for the division, or are they just a barely over 500, under 500 team going into this year? You know, again, they're another very, very interesting team. Um, This is a team that I feel like, you know, after they got rid of McCutcheon, everybody thought they were going into rebuild mode, but that wasn't the case because then they made the trade for Chris Archer, right? And I feel like they made that trade just in case, and they're like, you know what? We want to retool. At least we have Chris Archer in our back pocket. We can still have him for a couple of years under under cheap control. But to me, I think that was the wrong move to make because I don't see the Pirates going anywhere really, you know, with just Chris Archer under their under their um under their wing. Um, I think they really should have kept on to the prospect of Austin Meadows. And I think that again, I think that's gonna come back to bite them, letting him go to Tampa um, in that trade. You know, their main guys right now is Gregory Polanco and Starling Marte. But outside of that, who do they really have in terms of offense? I don't know. And honestly, this is a division that's getting really hard, right? Because, you know, the Cubs and Brewers, they're going to battle it out. You know, the Cardinals made some moves too. So don't sleep on them either. So already it's going to be a three-team race in my mind. And then we mentioned how Cincinnati is getting better and how their pitching staff could elevate them. Even if it's just a bunch of veteran guys, it's a bunch of veteran guys that could bounce back. So I think you're looking at the Pirates here are really, really going to struggle because they're playing in a good division and they don't have as strong of a team as they used to. Yeah, I think this is a team that's going to fall off a little bit. I, I think the rest of the division is getting better around them, and the Pirates are just not making the moves. And I, that's part of the fact of just not having the money around them. I, and, you know, there's not much you can do at the end of the day if you're Pittsburgh. I, I like Marte. I like Polanco. Polanco struggled to stay healthy at some points throughout the season, played in just 130 games. Only hit 250. Uh, that's been like his, you know, mark for the last few years. the The infield's just too much of a question mark outside of Josh Bell to really buy into the infield right now for the Pirates, and I don't really like that going forward. Uh, for the Cardinals, you know, obviously Paul Goldsmith trading for him stands out. The pitching staff is not really led by Adam Wainwright from the ace to now the five starter. There, there's some big questions, I think, when you look at the Cardinals. Uh, mainly top prospects like Alex Reyes becomes a big mark of you know what to do necessarily with him. The bullpen would set for the Cardinals. The offense certainly is there. Uh, Marcel Zuna is trying to get back into form, but really two or three bid names of really, the question marks I have is Alex Reyes, Marcel Azuna, and Dets Defile. Who do you trust the most? Honestly, it might be none of those. I mean, uh, <laughs> but if, if we're choosing, we're only choosing between these three because they're so injury prone, right? Well, I mean, they just, 
between Detsnafar not performing at all for the Cardinals, Ozuna just had a down year, and Reyes seems to be just you know Tommy John surgery every single year. Yeah, I wouldn't throw all my eggs in the basket of Alex Reyes again. This is a kid that's had a lot of arm injuries, um, and you know what? When you have a couple of those under your belt, the, the, you know it's not a really a good sign. Um, when it comes down to it, I think Osuna is probably the most trustworthy one. Fowler has been hurt a lot. And we know when Dexter Fowler is healthy, he can be a really good player. But you also have to wonder, where is Dexter Fowler on the depth chart? And where is Osuna, too? Because last year, while these guys were out, Harrison Bader had a really good year. Tyler O'Neill was putting together some good at-bats. Uh, you know, they still have Jose Martinez, too. So the Cardinals have other outfielders that they can turn to that are pretty good offensively, especially since they added Paul Goldschmidt to at first base. Um, so my question is, really, it's like, who's the odd man out in that outfield? And is Dexter Fowler going to take a reduced role? Or is Osuna going to take a reduced role? And which one of those guys, if they're healthy, can become trade bait for you? I think Martinez is the, uh, the reduced role rate at that point. Uh, as much as I really like Jose Martinez, I think he should have a starting shot. There's just nowhere to put him. Defensively, he's more of a liability in the outfield, and he just doesn't have a spot at first base with Paul Goldsmith being there, which is unfortunate because he certainly played very well last season, and it's just hard to see him you know, having a spot when there's just nowhere to put him. Uh, for the Cardinals, you know, I really like this team. Uh, much improved. They'll be fighting for division and wild card. It really is going to be a three-dog race at the end. I, I look at it and say that's really all it is. Uh, 88 wins last season. Yeah, they were fighting for that second wild card spot towards the very end. And you know, they did have, and this is a key stat at the end of the day, run differential plus 68. Now, it doesn't scream out to you, but that was still sixth best in the National League. Only Milwaukee, Chicago, the Dodgers, Atlanta, and Washington had better run differential in the National League than St. Louis Cardinals. That's a big stat, you know, when you talk about season one. So the Cardinals certainly will be in the fighting for a postseason spot. It always seems like they are. And there's only so many years you can go without the Cardinals being in the postseason, it feels like. Uh... But they're going to need more production out of Dexter Fowler and Marcel Azuna. He did not perform like he did uh, when he was with the Marlins in his year prior. That, to me, is a key part. Because if he doesn't, that's a huge difference factor in why they could be in third in this division and how they could be in first. The Cubs, a game out from the Central last season, 95 wins, first time in couple of years they hadn't won the division former world series winning team still hasn't sunk in <laughs> Cubs and like what are the Cubs going to have to do to put themselves over the top against Milwaukee well honestly they got to figure out this bullpen um you know I feel like one of their biggest weaknesses last year was their bullpen and their best pitcher was Jesse Chavez I mean that's not a bad thing but at the same time, it's like I feel like if Jesse Chavez is your best reliever, that doesn't. I, I think there's some problems there. And also, their best reliever went to Texas, I believe. He re, he signed with Texas in the offseason, so they lose one of their best relievers. It just ha announced today that Pedro Strope is having hamstring issues. So really, this bullpen to me is a mess. 
you can point to a lot of different things last year with the Cubs. They were extremely unhealthy, too. Chris Bryant missed a lot of the season, so I expect Chris Bryant to come back this year and be healthier and be better. I expect Schwarber to have a better year. So overall, offensively, I expect people to have better years. Javi Baez had a breakout year last year. I think he's going to continue to keep that up. I don't think that was a fluke. And then you also have the Addison Russell incident, too, where what are they going to expect out of Addison Russell going forward? He, of course, he's going to get suspended probably for a domestic, uh, you know, domestic abuse policy. So there's a lot, a lot of moving parts when it comes to, um, you know, the Cubs in terms of who's going to be on the field, who's healthy. Their pitching should still be pretty good. They have John Lester. They brought back Cole Hamels. Um, it was an expensive option, but I feel like Cole Hamels still has plenty in the tank, and it's a good pitching rotation if you have Hendricks, Lester, and of course um, Hamels in the mix. Um, to me, you know, I feel like the Cubs, they ran out of gas last year, and that's why the Brewers are able to catch them. Um, but at the same time, the Cubs should be fine as long as everybody stays healthy. So the, really the question is, can Chris Bryant stay healthy and be his MVP-type self? Yeah, this might be the biggest names of a starting pitching staff in baseball. You, you said uh, Lester, Hendricks, Hamels. The only two names you forgot in there was you Darvish and Jose Quintana. I mean, these are all aces of staffs that have come on to the Cubs. The bullpen's the only question mark. 100% agreed. Uh, Steve Shesek, Pedro Stope, Carl Edwards Jr., as long as Brandon Morrow's not healthy, they're going to be the bullpen pieces. Even still... I mean, I liked Brandon Morrow last season, but he did not really perform great as a closer, and he wasn't able to stay healthy. Um, it is very surprising that they haven't tried to go out when you talk about the best closer in baseball is available. Uh, you look at it and, and say the Cubs are really trying not to spend a long-term contract, probably because of Rizzo and Bryant. But they should still be looking to win. Uh, at the end of the day, and putting up the best lineup in front of them. And, you know, it's it's not going to be easy with this bullpen. I think that can be a key factor for them. Uh, but the starting pitch will be there. The offense will easily be there. Uh, their only big questions will be, like, Jason Hayward, can he actually produce? Uh, what little offense you can get from, uh, I think, is a win at this point. Uh, Milwaukee's got the reigning MVP on the team. A lot of power on the team. They're getting Jimmy Nelson back from injury this year. Uh, possibly the best bullpen in baseball. They're not really going with a closer option, nor should they. Uh, even though, you know, we we talked about like Josh Hader. He's possibly the best bullpen uh, relief pitcher in baseball, if not the best. He's the second best relief pitcher to try Kimble in baseball, but. He shouldn't be the closer because of just the use that he's had at this point. Where do you see Milwaukee going? You know, I feel like the Brewers played really well last year. And I think a lot of people probably think, you know what, maybe this is a fluke because you know, they did it mostly in the second half and they were able to catch the Cubs who had a lot of injuries and were running out of gas. But I think the Brewers are for real. I think Christian Yelich's MVP-type season, I think you're going to see more of that. Um, this is a team that has a lot of good moving parts. They have Lorenzo Cain still. They have Christian Yelich. You know, they have guys like Travis Shaw. Jesus Aguilar is a good little piece of the puzzle there. Um, for the Brewers, you know, they added Mike Moustakis, who, by the way, is going to play second base 
for the Brewers, which I think is really interesting, by the way. And they bring in Yasmani Grandal on a one-year, $18 million deal. So they definitely upgraded their offense. The one thing I am worried about is the pitching for the Brewers. I was worried about it last year. We saw in the playoffs they were taking that um, that bullpen approach where Wade Miley pitched to one batter, and then they brought in another guy to, to face another one batter. You know, I don't know how long the Brewers keep that up. I don't know what their plan is either, if they plan to. You know, you can do that in the playoffs because you're only playing series, you know, four games, five games at a time. But to implement implement that plan for over a 162-game season where you have a bunch of relievers starting games or starters coming in late, I don't know how long you can keep that up and how effective it'll be over 162 games. So I'm a little worried with how the Brewers are going to handle their pitching staff this year. Yeah, I really hope they were going to resign Gio Gonzalez. Um, There's there's a lot of starting pitching question marks. And as great as it has to have Jimmy Nelson back, you know, you you still have to question how much you can get out of Jimmy Nelson. And is that enough to make a, you know, because you don't want to win the wild card. You really want to win the division. And especially if you're the Brewers, because you have the offense that can go the distance uh, in the postseason. There's just guys that are just so, so much experience. Kane, Moustakis, we saw how they've done in postseasons prior. And Christian Yelich performed extremely well in the postseason last year. Uh, You figure the uh, MVP is going to be fine this year. The offense is easily going to be there. They might have one of the best offenses in baseball. They have what should be the best bullpen in baseball. But you still, like you said, are you going to put this much pressure on the relief pitching this season? And will it work long term? I don't think so necessarily. I hate to bet on the idea that you're. it's a lot of stress on a lot of different people. And at the end of the day, everyone has to be pitching, you know, perfect in order to win a game. You're you're relying on way too many arms on a consistent basis. I still think they're going to be able to compete well, and they're going to get back to the postseason, whether it's going to be division or wild card. They finish with the best record in the National League. It's hard not to see them making the playoffs at the very least. Jose? Let's go with your guys from top, uh, from bottom to top. All right, let's go. Well, in last place, I'm actually going to put the Pirates in there. I, I'm just not very high on Pittsburgh this year. I don't really know what they got. You know, like outside of Starling Marte, uh, you know, and Gregory Polanco, you know, what does this offense really have? I think they're going to have a down year in terms of offense. Um, you know, they gave away one of their top hitting prospects in Austin Meadows to me. That's really concerning, considering, again, that's one of your top prospects offensively. And I think he could have been a really, really good future piece for you. Um, I don't think it was worth the trade of getting Chris Archer. I mean, you can have all the pitching you want, but if you can't score runs, what does that do you? You know, go ask the New York Mets that. You know, we have one of the best rotations in baseball, but we can't score more than two runs a night. And it doesn't win you many baseball games, honestly. So I'm going to have the Pirates in fifth place because of that reason, because I just don't think there's any offense to help this pitching staff out. Um, in fourth place, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. I know I was sounded so very high on them, and you know how can I put them in fourth place if I'm so high on them? But again, it's one of those things like the Padres, where I don't think they're there yet. 
I think, like you said, I think Sonny Gray is going to have a bounce back season. Uh, he doesn't have to throw his quote shitty slider uh, anymore. Um, but I do have concerns about the rest of the rotation. I think Luis Castillo is a phenomenal young right arm, a righty arm in the rotation. Um, but after that, you have guys like Tanner Roark and, and Alex Wood, who are good pitchers, but I wonder how they're going to fare in a ballpark like Great American Ballpark. And they have a couple of prospects still um, that are in the minors that should be interesting to watch if they come up at some point this season. So I have the Reds um, in fourth place, only because there's also three other teams that are better than them. Um, in third place, I, mean, I have the Cardinals. I like the moves they made. I, I like that they brought in Goldschmidt. Um, I like that they brought in Andrew Miller. I feel like their pitching staff needed a lot of help. I would have liked to see them go out there and get a starting pitcher. You know, Dallas Keigel's still out there if his price is coming down a little bit. Um, but I think the Cardinals, again, this is a team that needs to stay healthy. They need to get back on track. And, I, you know, I have them in third place because even though they're a good team, even when they're healthy, you know, Osuna's a good player when they're healthy. Fowler's a good player when they're healthy. We know this. Um, but I feel like the Cardinals have to almost play perfect baseball when they're going up against teams like the Cubs and the Brewers. And I just think it's going to be very hard when they go head-to-head um, to go against each other. I fully, I do expect them to compete for a second wild-card spot, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals missed the playoffs altogether as well, too. In second place, I'm going to go with the Brewers. Um, I don't think they catch the Cubs this time. Um, I think a lot of things went the Brewers' way last year. Um, and I think their pitching staff is going to come down a little bit. They don't really have any dominant starters. I know Jimmy Nelson is rehabbing from his injury. But, again, I also question the bullpen approach and how, how can they keep this up for 162 games. I don't know if it works that much. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't, think it, I don't think it works that long period of time. So I think the Cubs are going to outlast the Brewers because they have the pitching and they have the better players. I think the Cubs are going to win the division again. I think Chris Bryant bounces back. And mark my words, I think Chris Bryant has an MVP-type season. So I'm going to go with the Reds in fifth place. Uh, not by much, by like a game or so. There's just there's not much of a difference between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. I think it, you can just flip a coin to choose who it is, and you know you had Pittsburgh fifth, so I'll take Cincinnati fifth. Uh, Pittsburgh fourth. It's incredible that this team finished over 500. I, I think there is a, a case where you know a lot of teams in the National League are competing. And you can make a case for a lot of teams between this year and next season. But, you know, Pittsburgh's one of those teams that just they surprisingly win a lot of games. And I think that's really all it is. They're, they're going to win a lot of games. I don't think they're necessarily ever going to be taken serious for this division. There's just not enough depth there to believe it. And the first start would have to be Chris Archer's back to his almost Cy Young stuff. That would be key one for them to be in the hunt for a division spot. I think Cardinals right now in third, you know, they're very good. I really like the roster. The offense should be there. There are some big question marks when it comes to the Cardinals more than for the Cubs and the Brewers. And you just I'm going to take the safer pits at the end of the day. The Brewers and Cubs, two of the best teams, had two of the best records. For the Cardinals, they struggled mightily against those two opponents last season. I like their offseason moves. They're able to add a little bit more to the bullpen. But if... 
that's the follows in your lineup consistently and he's not producing or Marcelo Zuna is struggling at times there's going to be a tough season and I like their pitching staff but I'm not ready to completely commit myself to the pitching staff especially when you consider Carlos Martinez who's supposed to be the ace of the staff was not really able to really pitch at all when you're starting off a season and you have no idea where your ace is going to be we had the same question mark when it came to Twain Kershaw we both put the Dodgers in second I can't without an ace on this team really consider them I'm going to keep the Cardinals in third. Uh, second, I'm going to go with the Cubs. You know, I really like this team. I, I think they're a bullpen piece away from being a serious postseason contender. I think they got to try and do the same thing they did, did a year, uh, the year they won the World Series and try and trade for a relief pitcher. I think, you know, at the end of the day, Craig Campbell's available. There should be more teams in the hunt for the best relief pitcher in baseball since he's come up. But for the Cardinals, there's still the question marks of Kyle Schrober's, you know, defensive ability or defensive liability in the outfield. Uh, you know, Albert and Hayward are certainly great defenders, but I mean you're you're putting a lot of pressure on Kyle Schwarber. Uh, you get no offense from Jason Hayward. I, and I, one of the question marks that leaves this team, you know, there's a lot of positions for a lot of players and just not enough playing time. Ben Zobers, who could be a starter on a lot of teams, is just left to a super utility role whenever he gets the chance to play. Ian Happ, you wonder where he's going to be playing this season. Um, you know, Javier Baez will probably be the starting shortstop for as long as Russell's out, and it could be even longer if he's ever brought back. But there's still a lot of open spots for this team, and not enough positions. It's sometimes hard to always get your offense going, and they don't really have a natural leadoff hitter. That was something I really was going to hope the, tar- uh, the Cubs were going to improve on. We saw, what, Anthony Rizzo lead off a game or two. Uh, they they tried doing Albert Amora a little bit more in the leadoff role. But, you know, there's still no leadoff hitter at the end of the day for this team. And yeah, you need that, plain and simple. You don't have that. You're, you're basically hoping a lot of power for the entire lineup. It leaves too many unpredictability parts for me for the Cubs. And Milwaukee, I don't really love their starting staff. Yes, I, I really like Jimmy Nelson. Yes, Chase Anderson It was great last season. I expect both to be very good. I expect Nelson to pitch well. The bullpen is still one of the best in baseball. That's always a consistent need for a season long. The offense will be there. And at the end of the day, uh, whether Mike Moustache is playing third or second, this offense is going to be one of the best in the league. They have what should be looked at as one of the best defensive outfields in all of baseball. It should be easy to pick Milwaukee for a lot of different things. Jesus Aguilar was expected a backup role, and yet he was killing it with 30-plus home runs. Now he's going to be the everyday first baseman for this team like he was last year. 
Bear Drandell, uh, catcher they really struggled with. That's a great addition for the team and a great framer. I think that's, that's so underrated, not because of what he can do uh, with the bat, but I think he can be that extra step to help along a lot of the starting pitchers. He's the best framing pitcher, uh, best framing catcher of every catcher in the league. So it's too much to have. And when you have starting pitchers that just might need that extra pitch or two, that could be the difference maker. So we looked at that, and I'm going to take Milwaukee finishing on top of the division, which leaves us with the NL East, um, Miami fourth, and let's move on to the rest. Uh, (laughs) Miami fifth, and so we'll start off with the Phillies. Obviously, Bryce Harper... What did you think of the contract? Uh, you know, honestly, I didn't love it. Um, it. It's one of those things where I feel like it's too much money for a guy who, you know, had two good seasons so far in his first six years in the big leagues. Um, there's no opt-outs. Uh, you gave the guy a full no-trade clause, so if this doesn't work out, um, you know, you're stuck with him for a while now. And also, I just I'm really I'm really concerned. 13 years with no opt-outs, no you know, a full no-trade clause. A lot can go sour when the guy is 34 years old, 35 years old. Um, and again, especially with the intensity that Bryce Harper plays with, we don't know what his body's going to be like as he gets older um, and as he builds up his way throughout his career. I feel like the Phillies spent a lot of money on a position they didn't necessarily need. Um, you know, it, it's nice that they brought in Harper, but guess what? Um, you know, this is a team that still needs pitching. And they didn't address that concern, in my opinion. You know, they were chasing after Patrick Corbin, didn't get it. They wanted Machado, they couldn't get it. And then, you know, I feel like they were desperate and that they had to land Harper. Otherwise, this offseason was going to be a failure. So I feel like the Phillies were kind of forced into doing this. And I didn't like that they gave him a 20, um, I didn't have to, they didn't have to give him a $20 million signing bonus. So, you know, it is what it is. I think the Phillies gave him a bad contract. I feel like the Phillies got suckered into doing this because they need. They felt like they needed to land a star, but there's still no pitching. After Aaron Nola, you have Jake Arrieta, who's not as good as he used to be, and you have a lot of un, uh, proven unyoung starters. And, you know, like I said about the Pirates, you have great pitching, but if you have no offensive score, what good does it do? You lose games one nothing, 2 nothing. If you're the Phillies, you can score all the runs you want, but if you don't have any pitching to hold it down, what good is it going to do for you? So... Overall, I don't like the contract for the Phillies. For Bryce, hey, you make your money. There's no trades. There's no opt-out. So if you suck, you're still getting paid. But for the Phillies, I feel like they were forced into doing this. $25 million a year, I think the average is. It's extremely low. Manny Machado signed, what, 10 for 300 Bryce is getting three more years for $30 million more. It's... it's the annual money to it is not that high. On top of that, Bryce is 25, 26 years old, so it still is 38, 39. Yeah, that's a long time, but what? Till 33, 34, you're pretty much exiting your prime years. That's seven, eight, nine years of Bryce Harper in his prime. Plus, an offensive park like Philadelphia that will help him out with more home runs. Uh, on top of that, you know, I think fantasy baseball has him 
getting right now taken in the late first, early second round. This guy's an easy first round pitch for me. He's going to hit over 40 home runs, 100 runs stored, 100 RBIs easily. Stolen bases don't necessarily have to be there, but no, Bryce, this was a great deal by the Phillies. Uh, it was what Bryce Harper wanted, and the Phillies didn't have to pay that much at the end of the day. The per didn't year. Have to pay that much. Yeah, the per year is tw- less than what, $25 million? It's It's not that much to begin with. 330 divided by 13 comes out to 25.38. Zach Ranty's making $34 million this season. Who would you rather have on just that per contract? <laughs> Yoannis Cespedes is making more on an annual basis. They, they, there's not much of like a, a, a complaint on that. It's the years we look at and say, this is just way too many years. Well, yeah, it's a lot of years, but it's not like this is going to be what like handicaps you this isn't 30 plus million this is 25 you're still going to have 5 to 10 more million to play with per year I, I think this was a great signing by Philadelphia it helps their offense out tremendously I, it's the, it, were we looking at the Phillies without Bryce Harper as a high division favorite. No. With Bryce Harper, they're a high division favorite at this point. That's what it adds to it. Uh, So I I love this deal. I think more people should be all for it. Uh, You know, I'm I'm, I'm not really talking about, uh, like, I'm the opposite of me on this approach. I'm, I'm all for the years. The money's not too high even with it being the highest contract in all of baseball, it, it comes out like a, it's a cheaper annual salary than Charles Stanton, like, by far. I think we take the wrong approach when we hear $330 million on this because of how many years it has. It really reducts uh, down. Uh, for the Nationals, uh, Bryce Harper's gone, though. Juan Soto, Victor Robles... The, the interesting articles I'm reading about the Nationals is can they make stolen bases cool again? The the top of the lineup is going to feature Trey Turner, who had 40-plus stolen bases last season. They're trying to get him over 70 attempts to steal this season. Robles is projected uh, a lot of, like 30-plus stolen bases, and this could be the one-two guys to the lineup with a combined like close to 75 stolen bases or more together. So, you know, can the stolen base game be brought back by the Nationals this year in your eyes? I think so. I feel like they have a lot of guys on this team who are fast, they have speed, and hey, why not use it, right? Um, you know, this is a team that, you know, I still have Trey Turner who has a lot of good wheels. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Victor Robles factors in here. If Adam Eaton is healthy, he's another guy that could steal some bases. And then, you know, you still have Juan Soto, too, who can steal a couple bases, too. You know, I honestly think the Washington Nationals, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, they lost Harper. I think they're going to be in good shape. Um, you know, this is still a team that has a lot of good hitters and Anthony Rendon and Ryan Zimmerman. Um, again, as long as the young kids produce like Turner, uh, Robles, and Soto, this team should do just fine. 
um, without Bryce Harper. I love that they added Jan Gomes, and of course, you can't argue with that rotation, honestly. Uh, it's it's going to be fun watching the Nationals. I'm, I really like watching Trey Turner. Uh, Juan Soto was a, a phenomenal star last year. Uh, yeah, Matt Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. It's a nice one, two, three to begin with. It's hard to get really anything asking better than that. Uh, this is a team, even without Bryce Harper, that should easily be competing for the division, Brian Dozier replacing at second base. A lot of options for the team. So I, you know, the Nationals are not out of it because Bryce Harper's gone. They're still one of the top teams in baseball, and they're certainly still fighting for a division spot. Uh, the Atlanta Braves really didn't make any moves. They re-signed Nick Marcakis to a one-year deal. Uh, Acuna for a full season. You know, a lot of young starting pitchers trying to come up for the Braves in this organization. Uh, for Atlanta, they won the division this uh, last season, but yeah, the Mets are certainly improved. The Phillies are certainly improved. The Marlins suck, uh, and the Nationals are always a, a team that can compete. You know. Out of all the division winners last year, is Atlanta the biggest threat to be taken down? Is Atlanta the biggest threat to be taken down? You know, honestly, I think so. This is a team that a lot of people keep sleeping on. A lot of people aren't, you know, considering them, you know, a top team, uh, you know, in the NL East. But this is still a team that has a good young pitching staff. Do I expect them to take a little bit of a step backwards? Sure. Yeah. Um but at the same time, again, this is still a team that has Ender and Ciarte, who's a really good player. Um, you, you still have Ronald Acuna Jr., who's a star in this league. Ozzy Albies is a star. Freddie Freeman is a star. You know, they have some injuries already with Fulton Evitz. Um, looking like he's going to miss opening day. And I do think that pitching is a weakness on this team. I would love to see a reunion with Kimbrell. Um, but at the same time... Um, I think this is still the team to beat in the NL East. Uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. This is still the same team as last year. Um, I expect them to take a little bit of a step backwards because they're a very young team. But again, I still think that this team is going to be very motivated, especially with everybody else getting better in the East. I feel like everybody else in the better, everybody else in the NL East got better because they saw how good the Braves were. So if I'm the Braves, I'm playing with a chip on my shoulder and I'm playing with a chip on my shoulder knowing that teams are getting are getting better because they're threatened by us. Only one game at the end separated the National League Central, the National League West, the National League East. The Braves had the largest lead, and that barely was a lead when you consider it. Uh, but they, they had eight games over the Nationals and the Phillies. Uh, but both teams still very good. Phillies obviously improved. The Mets are improved. You know, each division winner last season certainly is going to have a tough time beating the teams right behind them. Uh, for the National League East, it's going to come down to winning the games against the division. If one team can just separate themselves from the pack, that could be the big difference maker. I really like the young uh, organization that the Braves had. They really didn't want to sign anybody. They totally proved that point 
of just not going out there and trying to sign free agents. Uh, had they, we'd probably be talking about the Braves much differently than right now. But they didn't do anything shiny uh, or sparkly in the offseason. But like you said, they have a bunch of stars, a bunch of top prospects. Uh, if any starting pitcher goes down, they have six guys to replace them in the minors of these studs. I still like the Braves to compete in this division. It is a four-way race at the end of the day, and it's going to be really tough to see who we both take, uh, whether fan love is going to be a reason why. But last week we have the Mets, and what should fans be expecting from the New York Mets? Honestly, I think you're going to see a better team this year. That's easy. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean... I know I know it's very easy to say that, but I feel like the Mets did a really good job in picking up contact hitters. Um, so, it, you know, one thing that the Mets had a problem doing is I feel like the Mets, you know, for a couple of years, they relied too much on the long ball. It was either a home run or nothing. But now, you know, the Mets got some hitters where it's Robinson Cano, who's usually driving, you know, balls to the gap for doubles here, doubles there. They picked up a good guy like Jed Lowry. And I feel like this team, this team is you know, more consistent. And I also feel like this team is very versatile. You know, you have a lot of different guys who could play a lot of different positions who I feel like benefits for a national league team that could easily double switch guys in and out of position. So, you know what? I, I expect more out of the Mets this year. I think their pitching staff is, you know, their pitching staff is always good. In my opinion, the starting staff, at least the bullpen got better by adding Diaz, bringing back familia and a non pressure role. That's not the closer role. Um, they added Justin Wilson, who to me is a very low key, really, uh, good upgrade, but it really depends. And it, again, Nick, it's the same thing every year. Can they stay healthy? Right now, we don't know if Jed Lowry is going to be there for opening day. We don't know if Todd Frazier is going to be there. As long as the Mets stay healthy, they can compete with the Phillies and the Braves. But if they're not, you can't. You know what I mean? You, you can't play a team sport if the team's not out there on the field. And that's something that the Mets really struggle with. So, you know, it sucks to say, hey, what are the keys for the Mets this year? Stay healthy. Because when they're healthy, they're a damn good team. They certainly improved. Uh, you know, it's it's all about who you're going to start in this game. Uh, Robinson should not be the starting first baseman. Alonso should be. The bullpen looks good. Uh, you obviously got to love Diaz being the closer. The drum, nowhere, Wheeler. It's a nice one, two, three punch to begin with. A little bit of a question of the fifth starter. I know Vargas has had a great spring, but it's still Jason Vargas. I'm not going to fall in love with that. We're, we, we've got a long way to go, and the entire month of April before I even consider him to be a decent fifth starter as a possibility. Obviously, injuries is going to be the main part. They're, they're always going to be hurt. I, I don't think you could push upon a genie and he would ask you for a different wish easily than taking the Mets to stay healthy for an entire season. Uh, but, you know, Mets fans should be excited. You know, the, the Mets traded away prospects to make their team better. They made moves to try and compete. They're going to be in a tough situation with this division getting a lot better. I don't know if they're the division winner at this point, but a lot had to go right for the Mets to just be where they were at last season with the improvements. I don't know if that's enough of a push, though. 
Uh, Jose, from the Marlins up. Uh, I didn't even realize we didn't talk about the Marlins. Oh, that's, so, about the- that's so sad. Oh, man. That is so, so, so sad. Yeah. When we figure out something positive to talk about the Marlins, uh, they got Sinto Sanchez. Ah, great. Yeah. <laughs> His career will be over in about two years because he's on the Marlins now. I mean, um, yeah, so from the Marlins up, Marlins in last place. No explanation <laughs> needed. I don't think we really need to spend any time on that. In fourth place, yes, in fourth place, I have the Philadelphia Phillies. And I know that's going to surprise you. But again, this team has no pitching. They have no bullpen. They brought in David Robertson. Fantastic. But after that, who's closing games for you? Who's setting up games for you? Uh, if they would have got, if they would have went out there and got someone like Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keigel to help out in the rotation, I would consider the Phillies more of a threat. Um, you know, Michael Franco had a really bad year last year. Odubel Herrera, who who's arguably the face of their franchise, literally two years ago, also had a bad year last year. Gabe Kapler made a lot of weird mistakes last year in his first year as a manager. I'll give him benefit of the doubt. But he has to manage things almost perfectly this year. I feel like there's so much pressure on Gabe Kapler that if things don't go well this year, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to see Gabe Kapler um, out of a job at the end of the year. I think there's that much pressure on the Phillies this year. Again, I feel like the Phillies are a team that's going to be all offense, no pitching. And after Aaron Nola, I don't feel confident about their rotation or their bullpen. So I have the Phillies in fourth. And when I say fourth, I don't mean like they're going to suck completely. I think this is going to be a very close division. I think this, you know... I think you'll see. Uh, I think you'll see three teams out of this division might make the playoffs this year. You know, I, I feel like the Phillies can contend for the second wild card spot. It's going to be very, very close. I feel like the Phillies are going to be in fourth place. In third place, I'm going to put the Atlanta Braves again. Um, you know, if there's any weakness to the Braves, it's their rotation. Um, Fulton Nevitz is already going to miss opening day, so I wonder how the rest of their rotation is going to shake out for them going forward too. Um, and again, I'm just a little bit worried about the rotation. I feel like the offense is going to be fine. I think Acuna is going to have another big year. Albies is going to have another good year. I think Freddie Freeman could have that MVP-type season that we've been really waiting for and for him to stay healthy. But pitching is going to be a main concern for me. Can their pitching staff hold up? And can some of those you know, young righties or young pitchers in the minors um, come up and help them out this year as well, too? Second place, I have the Mets. Again, I think this is going to be a very uh, – uh, it's going to be a better team than last year. They still have a great starting staff. Um the bullpen is better. I think they win half of the games that they lost last year because they blew a lead in the eighth inning or the seventh inning, or they can't hold a one-run or a two-run lead. I think this year's bullpen fixes that. Uh, um, and if this team stays healthy, they're definitely a wild-card team. But we all know the Mets have had their issues in the past with staying healthy, which is why I don't feel confident in calling them division winners just yet. So they get second place. And in first place, again, it might shock a lot of people, but I have the Washington Nationals. Um, I believe this team is still good even without Bryce Harper. Juan Soto, to me, is a good player. Adam Eaton, when healthy, is a good leadoff hitter. Anthony Rendon, one of the most underrated third basemen in the league. And they have a tremendous pitching staff. You're rolling out Scherzer, Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. That's a really good pitching staff. That's something that the Phillies don't have, even with Bryce Harper. They don't have a good pitching staff. So to me, I think the Nationals win the NL East. I think Victor Robles replaces Bryce Harper just fine. And again, I think pitching is really going to carry the Nationals' victory. Now for the Marlins, I'm just looking at it. To win the division, they're plus 10,000. We're 
risk a hundred dollars to win ten thousand dollars if the Marlins win the division. Never happening, but yeah. So are the Baltimore Orioles. Uh yeah, no shot where we'll put them when it comes to them as well. Uh Marlins fifth. Let's get that over with. Uh Braves fourth. Look, I know they finished the first in the division. They were the best team in the division last season. Uh, Phillies seemed to struggle at points. Mets couldn't stay healthy. You know, same story. Uh, Nationals just fell off at the very end. But we're talking about a team that didn't improve. Their ace starter will not be ready for the season to begin. You don't know how long that will take. Uh, Other guys like Mike Soroka, who could have been a fifth starter possibility, he's not going to be ready uh, to be in the season, he'll be getting the minor leads, expecting him to cut coming up. Um, when you stay just the same, it doesn't work out the best. You're talking about teams that are adding their top prospects to the majors, like Victor Robles, and adding a starters like Patrick Corbin. You're talking about the Mets adding the top closer in baseball, adding a second baseman, the top prospect and uh, the best f- first base prospect getting called up, adding a catcher, the Phillies adding the best catcher in baseball, adding one of the best outfielders in baseball, adding a former MVP. No, the the Braves just staying the same. I can't take that. I'm going to put them fourth at the end of the day. And and there's no bullpen. And when you consider there's not really a closer. I like A.J. Minter, but expecting him to be the closer the entire season and putting up strong numbers is hard to believe. And the fact that they didn't try and go out to get Craig Kimball, what are you worried about of who's going to be a free agent soon? Acuna's not. Ozzy isn't. Your top prospects are all starting pitchers, so you don't have to really worry about any of them. So They had money to spend, they've got a new stadium, and they didn't try and put a free agent in the bot seats for, for the team. I don't think it works out well for the Braves. I have them finishing fourth. Uh, third, I have the Nationals. I really like the team. Uh, offensively, I think they're going to be extremely good. Uh... There, there can be question marks about like Ryan Zimmerman's health, Anthony Rendon's health, Steven Stratsburg always seems to spend time on the DL as well. Uh, I, I like Jan Gomes as their catcher this season, but you know, there, there are too many times where national players spend time on the DL, and I think that can happen again for the team. And you know, they still lost Bryce Hopper at the end of the day. Uh, Victor Robles is going to be a good improvement. Uh, Juan Soto is going to be one of the top players in baseball again, but you still want to lose your best player. I, I'm not going to put you in the top two because of that when you weren't able to replace that. Mets are finishing second. I, I really like the team. Uh, they've made a lot of great moves. I don't know if it puts them over the hump as far as winning the division. 
injuries are always going to play a factor for this team. You hope that you want know, to assess, but this comes back. I think Brandon Nimble and uh, Michael Conforto could have phenomenal seasons for the Mets. I think Peter Alonso can be one of the top players for this team, but there are far more questions about this offense. DeGrom had one of the most immaculate seasons, and for him to try and repeat that I think is going to be difficult. So you have to kind of assume he's going to fall off at one or two steps. I have them finishing second, but this division's going to be close at the very end. Uh, Phillies first. You mentioned starting pitching. They have Aaron Nola, who finished third in the Cy Young. Most people have him finishing in the top three again. Jake Arrieta is their two-starter, which isn't a bad start. Zach Eflin, I think, is a very underrated back-end starting pitcher. Adding guys like David uh, Robinson, having guys like Sir Anthony is a nice one-two in the bullpen for that 8-9. They have the offense. They've made all the moves. The Philly fans are going to be hella involved this season. There's just so much fun around this team. You expect big numbers from Bryce Harper in his first year as a Philly. I expect big numbers from him. The power is there between him and Hoskins. The offense is there. Uh, they have guys where they could have them hit one or like seven throughout the entire lineup, and you can just play around with that. The Phillies should be fine this year. We saw them blow a lot of games last season. I don't expect that to happen again this year. The offense is just too strong around them. Phillies winning the National League East. With that, though, we're just going to finish it with a few other points. Craig Kimball, Gio Gonzalez, do either one have a team before the season starts, or are you believing the possibility that Kimball might sit out the entire season, or at least till the All-Star game? Uh, you know what? I think you're going to see him sit out. and uh, You know what? I think I'm going to say early April, the earliest. I think, you know, I think Kimbrell is putting on a really hard front um, where he's willing to hold out. And, hey, maybe that's not such a bad strategy because, like we said before, teams are always looking to trade for relievers either at the All-Star break or at the trade deadline or for down the stretch. And if you know you have a guy like Craig Kimbrell out there who, at that point, you're only going to sign a one-year deal – um, it may be a good option for you. But honestly, I think it wouldn't surprise me if he signs maybe a week after the season starts. Um, but I just I just think he's too good not to sign somewhere um, relatively quickly. Um, but then again, that's what we've been saying all offseason. So uh, I really don't know, which is also kind of worrisome. It's certainly surprising to see all that. Uh, when we look back in sports history, we have our beard back and our due to the week. And of course, our dunce of the week. Uh, Day in sports history, Larry Bird scored 60 points, which was a Celtic record. And today will also be known as the day the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. to the Browns. Uh, whether this will become you know, a great trade by the Giants or a terrible trade by the Giants. You know what's funny, Nick, is I woke up in a bad mood today and I didn't know what I was mad at. And it turns out I wouldn't know until 8 o'clock at night. I woke up fine. <laughs> We got a nice story at the end. I, I can't complain for that. And our 
Dude of the week is going to go to Kemba Walker. Last night having 40 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists in the loss to the Houston Rockets. Uh, the possible former future Nick uh, putting up his first Dude of the Week. So congrats to Kemba Walker on that. And with a Dude of the Week, we need a Dunce of the Week. And Jose, who is our Dunce of the Week? Now, you think I would choose the Giants in this scenario or a GM, David Gettleman. But I already had a Dunce of the Week picked out before this. So I'm going to hold off on that for a second. I'm going to choose Derek Jeter. Yes, Yankee legend Derek Jeter. Nick, I know you don't pay attention to the Marlins at all. But if you were paying attention recently, you realize that he made comments saying how he's not too concerned about fans caring about the result of the baseball game, that fans care more about being entertained when they go to the baseball game as opposed to the actual game itself. And I can tell you, Nick, I've gone to plenty of games. So have you. But I've gone to plenty of games where I walk out and I say, you know what? That was fun because I was with my friends. I was with my family. But I also say I wish they would have won. So my dunce is Derek Jeter, a five-time World Series champion that claims fans don't care if the team wins or not. At the end of the day, they care about the ballpark experience. You couldn't be any more wrong. And let me tell you, if you wouldn't have won any of those championships with the Yankees, you think Yankee fans would actually like you, Derek Jeter? I think not. It's all about winning at the end of the day. So Derek Jeter, you're my dunce. Yeah, I get the fan experience. Oh, I get it, too, because there's plenty of times where the Mets will get shelled, and I'll say, you know what, that was actually pretty fun, though, but I still care that the Mets got shelled. But how many games do we see the Marlins actually, like, you know, competing in consistently? I think that's the bigger question. It's great if you get a 3-2-5-4, you're going back and forth, uh, trading scores, uh, hitting the tying home run in the seventh inning, uh, and... Coming off with the loss uh, late in the game. Yeah, that's great. Is this just, just going to be like 5-2? to two? Fell behind after like the second inning. Never never having the lead. Opening day, uh, what? Jose Urena was taken on the first pitch for a solo home run. It's it's got way more of a feel to that than it does to you know the the experience at the ballpark because what we do around the ballpark to entertain you to keep your eyes on the uh, away from the crappy team we put on the field. No one's buying that. If that was true, season ticket sales would be up. But you know when season ticket sales were up, when Bryce Harper signed. A contract with the Phillies, it went up 100,000 season tickets sold the same day. That's when it goes up. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. That is a huge dunce of the week. Uh, with that, we're coming to the end of our podcast, episode 43 of Sarasso and the Beard. Uh, and some final thoughts coming along uh, as well. We do have another podcast that will be coming out later on in the week after 43. Uh, with that, because we have to do the American League part, with which we will include our wildcard teams for the National League, our wildcard teams for the American League, and 
our MVPs and Cy Young. So we only were doing our division winners. You know, three teams making the division for each of us. For uh, myself, I have the Rockies, Brewers, and Phillies. And Jose, you have the Nationals. I think you said Cubs and Rockies as well, correct? Cubs, Rockies, and Nationals for division winners, yes. All right, what was that? My memory served me well. <laughs> so we got some different marts. Uh, you'll still have to find out about our wildcard teams for the National League. And as well, we're going to do some MVP and Cy Young award winners. So for those fantasy football fan, uh, fantasy baseball fans as well, you'll want to jump into who you should be looking to target for those purposes on who we have for Cy Youngs and MVPs in both leads. And we'll even give you a dark horse for each one of them for that. And then on the following week, for our podcast episode 45, we're going to do some college basketball. We'll make our own brackets for it. Uh, we'll sure as watch it go to hell on like that following Thursday. That's usually what happens for me. I just want to win the first game. Get the first game right. Get off to a good start. <laughs> and then let it, let it just go to hell from there. Uh, so we got some big podcast episodes coming up real shortly on that but Jose what are your final thoughts for episode 43 uh I mean what is the meaning of life when your GM tells you that we didn't sign Odell Beckham to trade him and then two days later he trades him I don't know how to feel Nick I'm in a glass case of emotion right now alrighty (laughs) (laughs) that's deep (laughs) uh I'm going to start my college basketball real early. Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's tonight. Uh, Gonzaga, the number one team in the country. You know, one of the big questions, Marks, we talked about Zion Williamson not playing right now for Duke. Duke lost to North Carolina again. Uh, They're currently ranked fifth in the country. This is going to be really interesting on what the committee does when it comes to Duke. I don't think Duke should have a number one seed especially with Zion Williamson out. Uh, I'm very much interested in how they rule it with Duke, where they're going to put certain teams, uh, because this is going to be a lot of fun watching how this plays out on the final parts. Uh, Michigan State is currently ranked sixth. How they're going to do in their own tournament when it comes to versing teams like Michigan again, Purdue uh, possibilities, because... You know, Michigan State has is missing their top two players. So injuries certainly playing a little bit of a factor for a couple of the top teams in the country. I don't think they'll be significantly bumped down in a tournament, but I think it should play a factor in how we rank certain teams when it comes to that point because Duke is not the same without Zion Williamson. They are not a top five team in the country without him. That doesn't mean they're going to go really far down skyrocketing, but it just goes to show you like where the committee is going to get this right or wrong. And I like that CBS is changing it back to not showing it uh, alphabetical order on the colleges. They're going to switch it back to showing who gets ranked one. That team's getting posted first. That team's posted second on the other ranked one team, and so on and so forth. I think it's the right way to do it uh, because... Yeah, you have to go far down the list before you're getting to some of these teams like Virginia. 
Uh, how far down are you going to alphabetically order it when Virginia's ranked currently the second team in the country? So, uh, so that's my final take on it. I, I am looking forward to these next few podcasts. And again, thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard. Uh, once again, I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm talking Beard Jose Rivera. And as always, you can check out all of the S&D podcast channel uh, where you'll see plenty of different ones coming up. WrestleMania is in a couple of weeks. I know they got the wrestling one as well. Uh, Steven, who does the S&D podcast channel for uh, and helps us out a huge bunch on it. Uh, I'm sure he's going to have some hot takes on him. Is He's a regular season ticket holder for the New York Giants, so I'm sure he's a little bit in pain with Odell Beckham being traded. Uh, sure, we can mess with him a little bit on that for this weekend. But again, thank you so much for listening to Sarasa on the Beard Podcast, episode 43.